0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: Now, I figured, Eddie and Brendan, I, I, I figured, quite frankly, that I was going to be in here all by myself pushing buttons, which is not uncommon. Because... Today is the company holiday gathering, right? It is. And we are here. We are here because the holiday gathering is So I do want to say, I hope that everybody, and I'm being serious, that everybody's having a good time. Have you guys done the axe throwing deal?
2: Never been axe throwing, even though I've seen it on every Instagram story of people I follow. I have not either. It's interesting because here's the
1: thing, and I'm not saying the names of any places... You've done um, it
3: with uh, the, your IndyCar cohort, correct. cohorts, correct?
1: Correct. And like, it, it was fun. It's fun until you always get that one guy that's like uber competitive and kind of a know-it-all that comes over, and they're like, "Yeah, see, you're doing it wrong. Your motion. You got to straighten in your elbow and throw." And you're like, "Look, man, I, I'm not. I, like, I'm not trying to get on the ESPN lumberjack show, right?" It's like the
2: pickleball guy that you're talking to me about.
1: Exactly. Like pickleball is the same way. A guy at my gym. You want to play some pickleball? Yeah, I'm just in here to. Uh, come on, man. Come play. Okay. <laughs> and literally within five minutes, it's like, this guy thinks that literally we're Bjorn, Borg, and McEnroe at Wimbledon. And I'm like, yeah, uh, uh, okay, let's just calm down, right? So there is an axe throwing uh, going on. That, that came off the wrong way. The company party is at, is at one of the axe throwing establishments here in town uh, to be able to enjoy the holiday. So, And I get it. Uh, it I'm assuming that, especially this time of year, it's probably not the easiest to get everybody coordinated. So it just so happened to fall during the time period that we are on the air uh, flying squirrel axe throwing. I, I, I hope I'm okay to say that. Uh, I would assume that they would like for people to know that that's where people are enjoying it. When I did the axe throwing deal, and it was fun, uh, admittedly, it's very like psychological because if you you throw it and if it sticks, you're like, man, I'm good at this. And then you throw a couple and it bounces off the board and it's frustrating here's what i noticed brendan here's my tip for you and for you eddie garrison as your older brother here here's my tip on what you do if you go axe throwing you go into oh no you (laughs) gotta have a beer while you're there but you're you're correct don't heavily drink right alcohol
3: and sharp objects mix as well
1: that is true well you know they're very strict about like stand behind the line and behind (laughs) the cage whatever else but When you go into the area where you're throwing, the target you're throwing to, go to the one that looks like it's had the fewest amount of hit in it. Like, so they change the wood, obviously, you know, every, I don't know, once a week or whatever it might be. But when you throw and you get like a bullseye, when you pull the ax out, it knocks out a little bit of the wood. Well, the less wood, the more wood that's been chopped out of the target, the less likely it is to stick. Right. So you get one that's been like heavily hit. Like one out of every five throws actually sticks and you're like, Oh my gosh. And it's like a total it's like missing ten free throws in a row. It is fun though. It, it's fun to do.
2: But yeah, I've heard good things. Have you ever been, um it's another thing here in town, fouling. I so no, I haven't done that. So very that's, fun. Now what is fouling exactly? Bowling, but the pins are like cornhole. Okay. And you throw a football at it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you're knocking down pins with a football.
1: Now, let me tell you, and by the way, good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Quarry. That is Brendan King. Eddie Garrison here as well. This is Quarry and Company. Uh, I have decided, Brendan, that we are going to hold a board meeting on Thursday. That's tomorrow, right? Okay. Eddie, is tomorrow Thursday? It is indeed. The week does kind of fly by. We're holding a board meeting tomorrow as to whether or not we are lifting the hiring freeze
3: internally.
2: Oh, fantastic! I, I I'm I left you my resume yesterday. Little
3: does he know, it's a board meeting one of one, <laughs> and he's the only one at the board meeting. Well,
1: the president <laughs> of the board meeting is overseas, so so we have we have all kinds of rain here because Jimmy Cook over in London, Brendan filling in, Eddie Garrison is the CEO running things for us today. So, a meeting will take place tomorrow, and I'll announce to you the findings of the meeting on Friday. But as the, what is my title, Eddie, within the company?
3: You are chairman of the board. Okay. That's pretty I'm important. I'm
1: chairman man. of the board? Yeah. That's right. Uh, Jimmy's president of the board, right? Mm-hmm. So as the chairman of the board, uh, ultimately, the decision comes down to, one, me, yeah, like Eddie said. So uh, we'll let you know what happens. Joel Erickson going to join us today at 1 o'clock. And then Zach Keeper, who's got an interesting story on the Bill Pulley and Jay Moore dust up. From the athletic, Zach Kiefer, our friend, joins us at two o'clock to talk about that. That was a big topic of conversation last night at IREA's. Uh, I want to thank again Bill Benner, longtime, of course, radio personality, but sports writer in Indianapolis, and Bill's brother David, of course, a beloved member of the Pacers PR staff, and before that was a writer for The Star. Last night we had our annual at IREA's, which was fabulous. Our annual Robin Miller. Robin Miller had friends in like three different areas. He had like his race friends. He had his, um, you know, indie star friends. He had like his, his gambling friends. So those that he worked with at the Indianapolis Star gather each year in December for the holidays to have dinner and tell stories and look at old pictures of people from the Star and tell old, you know, print room stories. And so, Jake, why were you there? fair question right when I was in college I was just a student at IU and I became really good friends with because I lived next door to Pat Knight and Ryan Carr Ryan Carr now the vice president of player development I think that's the title for the Pacers Ryan Carr or excuse me Pat Knight a scout for the Pacers working for Ryan but I lived next door to them and we became basically one big apartment And we were constantly, you know, we just, we're great buddies, all of us. We had a great time. And Robin, Pat was playing for Bob Knight at that time. And Robin Miller wrote a column about Pat Knight, basically mocking Pat Knight's lack of athleticism and ability on the basketball team. And I had not formally met Robin before, but I called him on the phone and just said, hey, I've got like exception to the column that you wrote and let me tell you why. And he said, okay. And I said, do you think it's easy being the son of Bob Knight? He goes, Well, I, I can only imagine it's probably not very easy, or whatever. And I said, Okay, now, do you think it's easy being the son of Bob Knight who is trying to live up to being the player to play for Bob Knight? So combine those two challenges and then add on to it some guy in Indianapolis that you've never met before writing a column, mocking your efforts in both areas. And Robin like paused and said, What is your name? So I told him and Robin said, Well, what, what's your what are you going to school for? And I said, well, I'd really want to be a sportscaster, either at television. Or, and at that time, I'd been shadowing under Ed Sorensen. But Robin Miller, who had never met me, didn't know anything about me other than the fact that I placed that phone call, said, well, would you want to work for the Star? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, why don't you drive up here and, and meet with me? So I drove up. Robin met with me. Heard my story, you know, knew that I was going to IU. Walked me into Mark Morrow's office, who was the head of the Agate Bureau. Now, the, back in those days, guys, the Indianapolis Star sports page had what was called the Agate page that had all of the, you know, baseball scoring averages and the the high school box scores on Saturday from the Friday night games and all that. And they had a team of guys, ten or twelve guys, that took phone calls from six p.m. to midnight, taking in box scores and typing them into a system and putting them into the Agate page. and he walked into Mark Morrow and said this kid's in college he wants to become a writer or a sportscaster of some sort and i think we should give him a shot in the agate bureau and they did because robin mm. is the one that recommended it and for the 2 years that i did that when i was in school you know i'd drive up on friday nights or saturday nights and work in the agate bureau and robin miller at that time was mcing every event in town and doing the last row party and the front row party and you know every, i mean he was the man about town right robin miller never to my knowledge went to a single event without getting to-go boxes and bringing it back for every guy in the Agate Bureau. Every time. You knew when you worked the Agate Bureau that you were going to eat because Robin was going to bring back food from whatever restaurant, whatever. I mean, the guy was the greatest ever, right? Well, every year when he would plan this dinner for the alumni, friends of Robin Miller at Indy Star, because they were doing it while he was still living. I mean, he was the one that originally planned all this. And we're talking Mark Monteith and Mike Chappell and Dan Duncan and – you know, Mike Bias and Tony Rainier and Ralph Leonard and all these guys, John Banch, when he was still living, all these guys, and, and I was the the grunt of, of all, I mean, most of these guys probably didn't even know I, w- I had worked at the Aga Bureau, but Robin invited me in the very first year of this, like 10 years ago, and was like, no, 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 like, you, you worked at the Star. You were in the Aga Bureau. You were part of the team. You worked at the Star, and I'm like, no, 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 you're part of the team, so I have always, always Tried to, I, I've always taken with great pride that fact. And Bill Benner, when Robin passed, continued to he invited you know he he kept me on the invite list basically to do this. And for those guys to invite me, who is a nobody and a nothing, is to me as big a thrill and as big an honor as it gets. And I should probably up front, I guess, apologize to you guys because at times I can be cantankerous, but I promise you that I do try to remember that of like the importance of just trying to help people out you know what i mean and and get people that that sliver of light of the break that they need to try to facilitate that i don't have any power now like robin miller did but you get what i'm saying right well so we did it last night and it was awesome
2: well I, i know you've done that with thanksgiving and that's super commendable too but yeah if there's one thing i know about robin miller never had a chance to meet him but having the pleasure of being able to cover the race the last few years it's impossible to not walk to the top floor of the media center and not oh, see his seat, right? I mean, totally. You walk past, and again, I didn't know the guy. Oh, but he would hold but, court, Brennan. Like you no, just sit there, I, yeah, absolutely. But to walk up, you don't need to know the guy to know how big of a deal that is.
1: Well, and, and in, addition, in addition to that, excuse me, like if you would have walked up when he had his box of Long's donuts right there and grabbed one, he'd have been, he would have loved to to have known that you were covering the race and wanted to hear about it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. he he loved that kind of stuff. Absolutely loved it. But we did that last night and it was great fun. Um and you know, just sitting around like, you know, telling the old stories and, and you know, that stuff's invalid. Like I I just sit and listen and soak it all in, right? I mean, I, we talked Mike Chappell and I talked for a long time last night, and one of the conversations, as is always the case, Mark Monteith had once said, and it is so true. Monteith one had the, once had an epiphany that said that anytime three sports writers were sitting in the same room, within 10 minutes, the conversation turned to Bob Knight. Hmm. And there's a lot of truth to that. And in today's day, anytime three guys are sitting in a room that covered the Colts simultaneously of the era, the conversation turns to the Bill Polian and Jay Moore conversation on WNDE, which was Mark Patrick's show, and JMV was running the board for it, and Jay Moore had gone on Jim Rome and made the allegation that Edron James was unhappy with the Colts because of having to practice with a knee injury. Bill Pullion took exception to that, and Mark Patrick and J M B facilitated for both of them to come on the radio together. And Jay Moore came on in Jay Moore fashion, and Bill Pullion came on absolutely unhinged and incensed, and, and it proceeded to be the greatest, like, 26 minutes in the history of sports media in Indianapolis. And Zach Kiefer wrote about that and is going to join us later today to talk about that because I'm assuming he probably did like an oral history where he went back and talked to each player. And I'm very curious to know if Bill Polian and Jay Moore have ever talked to one another mm. other than during that phone conversation because
2: it was brutal, absolutely yeah. brutal. So somebody posted a link on John's Facebook page yesterday, but I don't think it was the actual Polian conversation. I think it was another Jay Moore like unhinged rant. Like, well, what the, he said was remarkable. So we,
1: I, I remember this. The, the station where I used to work, which is where that took place, yeah. Um, I worked there after John. John left that station to come work here, right? And so I was working at that station. And, of course, I think people now know John and I were friends the entire time, JMV and I. Um, but at one point, we played – Derek Schultz and I played that audio. And I, I think it was the most the, – the only audio that we ever played i think that got more downloads after the fact was i did an interview with the the one of the three doctors that operated on or tried to save john kennedy in dallas mm. and that one got you know because that kind of goes into a different audience right but but it was a massive for for people that I, I think every i think literally like i remember in 1995 i was coming back from bloomington this matter of fact i was coming back probably to work for the Agate bureau and I was coming back I had finished school f- at the end of the semester and I was driving on 465 in the game where in 1995 the 9 points or excuse me the 8 points and 9 seconds the 8 points and 9 seconds I was on my car on 465 on the east side of town and I can tell you I was driving right past the Just add Water Boats place on the right hand side <laughs> like in between like Pendleton and Shapley huh? you know what I mean yeah. oh yeah so I'm driving on 465 and I'm listening to Boyle, and he's calling that 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 play. And then all of a sudden, like, Reggie gets fouled, and he goes to the free throw line, and I'm driving – you know, this is obviously over the course of several minutes, but I'm driving around 465, and I kid you not, with the good Lord as my witness and my hand on whatever book you want me to put it on, I kid you not, people were pulling over on 465. They were pulling over, and I got out of my car. I kid you not, when when – when Greg Anthony fell down and the ball slivered away and Boyle, I remember I still remember Boyle and and Slick Leonard where Boyle says they have stolen game 1 and you hear Slick go they just stole it they absolutely stole it and I pulled over my car and some guy pulled over his truck and literally and I'm not kidding you Cars by the handful are pulling over to the shoulder of 465 and people are high-fiving each other because everybody was listening to that game that was in their car and it was like, I can't believe what I'm witnessing, right? Mm. And and people are going crazy over it. I kid you not, the day of the Bill Poley and Jay Moore argument that Zach Kiefer is going to talk about with us at 2 o'clock today, traffic had to have been very light on 465 because I'm guessing that people were, not literally, but like pulling over or we call it garage. Ra- There's driveway radio. When you get to your house, and you're gonna go in the house, but you're like, you're you're like, what 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 is Br- why is Brennan still sitting in the car for six minutes? And then you come in, and it's like, what were you doing in your car the whole time? We saw you sitting out there, and you're like, oh man, the best song ever was on the radio. So driveway radio is the goal of what we do, where people actually sit in their driveway to hear the rest of the story or to to just continue to because they don't want to get out and miss it. And that was the classic classic driveway radio moment
2: well do you hear what Denari said with jmv yesterday of denari was listening in his office and it was loud enough where people could hear it and Chris said like people were walking up to the base of his door with their jaws dropped on oh the totally yeah i mean the, the the chapel
1: was talking about last night and john's talked about this that, that they've been told that craig kelly who was it still is just a saint of a human being, and Craig Kelly was the PR director for the Colts and was r- literally like the nicest human on the planet. Doesn't have a mean bone in his body. But Craig Kelly, you know, legend has it that Craig Kelly was trying to that Pullian That's- was talking into the to the desk, you know, the, the the phone with one hand and holding off Craig Kelly with the <laughs> like with his left hand, like shimmying off Craig Kelly who was trying to grab the phone from Polian. It's the greatest. I'm telling you, it's the greatest. Um, what'd you guys do last night? Anything? I had the South Bend Cubs
2: holiday banquet. So. Well, aren't and- you just the, the king of banquets yeah i mean they're second in three days right did you wear the ring wore the ring part of the gig now so you
1: did you stop at the hip hugger on the way up you, you didn't what? lose
3: it did you no
1: the hip Good. hugger on the way up i don't
2: know what that is okay
1: so you went to south bend i did and you know I, brendan i hate to say this i I think I've only been to South Bend like twice. I've been to really? Notre Dame games, but I mean, like in terms of the city of South Bend, I, I've only Well, been let me, a let
2: me time. offer this to you, Jake. Anytime during the summer, if you find yourself up north, you have South Bend Cubs tickets as many as you'd like anytime.
1: And, and I would Same imagine. goes for you, Eddie. So the St. Louis Cubs, uh, or the, excuse the me, the South Bend Cubs. <laughs> yeah, not the St. Louis Cubs. That's for sure, right? The South Ooh. Bend Cubs, obviously you advance from there and you go to Des Moines, right?
2: Uh, the next step would be Knoxville, double A. But yeah, then Des Moines AAA. Oh, yeah, is AAA.
3: Yeah, you got your South antifreeze.
1: South Bend is AA. Got your
3: antifreeze. South Bend is What? You got your antifreeze in your car too. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you go from from South Bend. They go to where?
2: Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. AA.
1: And then Iowa. Yeah. So the 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 stadium is how big?
2: So right now, it could fit max about 7,500 people, but they are doing a major renovation after next season, 2024, where they're going to add a second deck. And Jake, I don't know if you've been to Fort Wayne, Parkview Field before, the home of the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. Very nice. going to look a lot like that. We're adding a second deck. The broadcast booth is moving up top. and uh, Copycats. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, Fort Wayne, they know what they're doing, and then they're building a large convention center in the left field corner, so weddings and... Corporate events and whatnot, so it's gonna be cool. Uh,
1: Big one for the Pacers tonight. They are in Milwaukee taking on the Bucks, and you know this one's interesting, Brendan, because the reality is this: obviously, we know how good Milwaukee is. We know what happened in the semifinals, you know, out in Vegas, but that's a that's a tall order, right, to turn around and try to beat the Bucks twice within a week because you're talking about a great team and one that. And this is what I think Indiana would like to get. So I think that the that Milwaukee offers obviously kind of the blueprint that the Pacers would like to get to, and that is a massive two-headed monster. Now, Giannis is – there's a reason his nickname was the Greek freak, right? He is exactly that. I mean, Giannis don't grow on trees. But you don't necessarily have to have the number one overall pick to get a guy like Giannis because Milwaukee didn't. And then you trade – pieces and obviously you do what you can to get a Damian Lillard who is a guy that can take over games I think one of the things for Milwaukee and sure no Damian Lillard obviously right like last time but one of the things about Milwaukee that I find interesting is and I think they're still navigating through this Brennan when you have two players that are elite level players like Giannis and Damian Lillard, that are capable. How many guys in the league would you say are capable of just putting a team on their back late in the fourth quarter and carrying a team to a win?
2: Very few. I mean, couldn't be more than, what, 15 guys? Yeah, that's probably about right, right? So
1: with that, how many teams have two of them on the same roster? Yeah,
2: half, right, you'd have to think.
1: Well, if there's only 15 of those guys in the league, then there can't be more than, you know, I mean... Oh,
2: I misunderstood the question. I'm sorry. I'd, I'd say half of those 15 would be on the same team.
1: Okay. Right. So so you're saying there's probably 12 to 15 teams that have two of those, a, 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 sure. a boardwalk and a park place, sure. right? Yeah. But a lot of those, for example, Boston, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, yeah. right? Yeah. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have never in the NBA played on a team without Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, right? Los Angeles, you know, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and I know LeBron's getting a little bit older now, but, you know, right away, like, it took them some time to, to mesh and feel their way through that, and... Milwaukee I think is in that process it's almost like if you want to get Milwaukee at a time when they are vulnerable it's before they truly realize and what I mean by that is late in games I think there are times a team like Indiana one of the challenges for the Pacers right now and they've done a good job with it but Tyrese Halliburton is so capable of catching lightning in a bottle that you have to avoid or resist the temptation for the rest of the roster of standing to watch what he's going to do. Because once they get accustomed to the fact of we as fans and as media watch a game, and with six minutes to go in the game, Halliburton hits a couple of step-back threes, and you think to yourself, here we go, like I feel good about this because Halliburton's wearing the jersey of the team I'm rooting for, and he is capable of – he is going to put this game away. The challenge for Indiana has been for the other players on the floor to not have that same mentality to then stand and watch. And I think they've done a good job with that. But Milwaukee's challenge is late in games like that, not having the ball become a hot potato where Lillard and Giannis are both waiting to see if the other one's that guy that night. And how do you know which one is the one that okay, that's where we're going? Because sometimes you got to feed a guy a couple of times to 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 jump start it, right? And how do you know? And so I think that that Milwaukee has a vulnerability right now that you got to take advantage of. So the Pacers sitting at thirteen and eight, you know, you want to get as many wins as, as you can, especially early while you're healthy, because over the course of the year you have attrition and other things that weigh in. You've got to take advantage of games like tonight. But it's in Milwaukee; it's going to be tough, tough environment. But it'll be fun to watch, right? And if you're going to the game, by the way, you can walk right down the street to the best place, Pabst Brewing, and get yourself a cold one. <laughs> Well,
2: here's A block my, away. Must be awesome, first of all. Uh, my thought on the game is sort of like what we were talking about yesterday, Jake, With and even on Monday, too. The Pacers in Vegas learning what that extra step in the postseason For is sure. like. To me, this game is about, all right, so you were able to win this so-called trap game in Detroit. But another big lesson that any team in any sport needs to go through is when you get late in the series and your bodies are tired, and you got to find that next level too. The next level to the postseason, if that's possible. That's what the great teams learn along the way. So this, to me, sort of feels like that, Jake, where going into Milwaukee after you're tired in Vegas, after you won the trap game in Detroit, this, to me, feels like the game five, game six, when everybody's tired, and you got to go win a game. you got to go to that next level, because this is a huge game. You're two games back of Milwaukee. One of the things to
1: me that was always fun about covering the NBA playoffs in seven games, well, I mean, in the in the early years, can you believe they used to have a best of three? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, but now, you know, and, and then there were best of fives, but the true, like I remember the year, the, the Easter Conference Finals with Detroit. I think it was the finals the, the year that Rashid Wallace guaranteed a victory here and they won Detroit won and then that was the Ron Artest I think um slept in and then racked like Richard Hamilton or something and and got a late ejection and you know all hell broke loose but the those series the thing that was so fun Brendan was that each series took on a life of its own from one game to the next the storylines yes. would change due to adjustments from one game to the next. And, you know, today's the point guard game and tomorrow's the small forward game and tom- and then the next day's the center game. And, and because teams were checkmating one another throughout the course and, and literally the storyline would shift and... And you would look back by game five and go, "Gosh, do you remember when the storyline in game one was so and so?" And it would, and kind of the same thing that you're talking about here when you're talking about two regular season games within a week of each other. But the thing that's been fun about the in season tournament, for example, and then you know the stakes of that game, and now coming in and going to Milwaukee tonight is otherwise. Are we really talking that much for an entire segment about the Pacers in Milwaukee in mid December two years ago? Probably not. No. But it gives it a little juice, right? Mm-hmm. Gives it a little action. Joel Erickson going to join us one o'clock today. We'll get you caught up on what's happening with the Colts as they are getting set now back to the field, taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers, and not Kenny Pickett and Eddie. What does Kenny Pickett have? Widow hands. That's right, his widow hands. Uh, Kenny Pickett and his size five gloves not going to be there for the Colts. Mitchell Trubisky and We'll get you caught up on what's going on on West Fifty Six. We come back. It's Querying Company here, ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Now, I'm curious, Eddie, are you playing this for a reason? Indeed. I was going to say.
3: We had a request in the break room for you to (laughs) tell the Jeffrey Dahmer apartment story that got uh, Joel... Erickson tackling.
1: Okay, you're a little confused of stories here. Our stories now, this is how you know that you're getting older. Our stories are now starting to merge into one another. Oh, yes. Uh, That song, by the way, is the most popular anthem of what university college football program? Vernon King? That would be Michigan. That is correct. The Big House sings that song like in the fourth quarter or whatever. I did not know that until last year during the Big Ten Championship. when michigan was it last year or two years ago when michigan and iowa were playing like two years ago because it was purdue and well this year year. well yeah but two years ago when michigan was here for the big 10 championship they beat iowa and i was downtown at one of the bars and somebody put that on and the place went bonkers with all the michigan fans um it's a great song in general it is a great song so before we get to the colts we were talking about the milwaukee bucks and the arena they play I love the city of Milwaukee. I was just there this weekend. I made reference to that. I also have, admittedly, a fascination with the bizarre, the macabre, things like that, the dark. And the Jeffrey Dahmer story was when I was in college, so it was a massive news story. And, of course, he was in Milwaukee. So, over the years that I've been in Milwaukee, I have gone, he did not live very far at all from downtown. The apartment building, you know when you drive up Meridian at about, probably 30th and Meridian on the right-hand side there's a series of I think it's called like the Biltmore there's like three apartment buildings yeah, in sure, a row that sure. are behind a gate so where Jeffrey Dahmer in Milwaukee lived it was similar to that just simply in the fact that it was like it's like three apartment buildings that are identical to one another and along a street and it's not in a bad area i mean it's a it's in an area probably the equivalent of like North Meridian you know as you drive up um and the building that he lived in Which, if you've watched the Netflix documentary, is pretty prominently featured in that movie or in that documentary. The building that Dahmer lived in was completely torn down. So there are two buildings, and then there is a grass field that very clearly is where there was a building of the equal size of the other two. And Mm -hmm. that's the building where he lived. But he worked, Jeffrey Dahmer worked in a chocolate factory, not with Charlie, but he worked overnight at a confectionery factory. And he worked like the, I mean, you could say the graveyard shift, but that becomes a little weird. He he worked the the midnight shift, okay? So he was a a pretty isolated shift. At any rate, when all of the news with Dahmer broke, back in those days, the news stories were, you know, this, a man from Milwaukee who worked at a chocolate factory or worked at a candy factory, you know, that, that was kind of linked to him. So I got curious. I'm like... So where exactly was the factory where he worked? So I did some research on it and found out, oh, they the the company moved to a new location in suburban Milwaukee or like in a small town, you know, the, the Lebanon of Milwaukee, if you will. So the factory where he worked in the near west side of downtown Milwaukee was eventually torn down because it was valuable property, right? It's not far from the downtown Milwaukee area. And I thought, well, I wonder what's there now. So I, I looked it up, and I'm like, wait, this can't be right. I I, I, I triple-checked it. I'm like, I think this is right. The area where the factory was, where Dahmer worked, when they cleared it out, they eventually decided they needed to do something with that area, and they built an arena, which is where the Milwaukee Bucks play. No kidding. Is where the Pacers are going to be tonight. 8 o'clock tip against, you know, Fiserv, I think is the name of the arena. Correct. Pfizer Forum. So when it opened... Brendan, and this was the story that we had Joel Erickson, who actually is going to join us here at the top of the hour. Um, When we had Joel Erickson on, I had mentioned this to him, and he couldn't believe it. Do we have the maniacal laugh of Joel Erickson, Eddie? When I divulged this bit of information to Joel Erickson, his laughter was maniacal to the point of concerning, quite frankly. He is a Wisconsin native. They had a double-billing concert at Fiserv Arena when they, so, so is that, did you did that go over the air there? (laughs) That is a true story. Look it up. That's a true story. Okay. The story I'm telling him is this. Brendan, when they raised and wiped out the chocolate factory, it sat dormant, the, the the area of land for like five or seven years or whatever, and then they built the arena. So they built the arena, and they're like, hey, we have this brand new arena in Milwaukee that's going to be like the Field House of Indianapolis. We're going to have concerts and shows and basketball games and everything else, but we're going to have a concert to open up the arena. We're going to have a first night concert to open the arena. And, of course, what was the double billing act of the warm-up band and the opening band that played in the arena that just happened to coincidentally be on the site of Jeffrey Dahmer's last place of employment? It was none other than the violent Femmes and the killers. <laughs> I, I I kid you not. <laughs> and then, of course, build your own joke that Fine Young Cannibals was booked, right? <laughs> and here's the thing. You go to Milwaukee and, like, and trust me, I've done, like, the whole tour of, of the Dahmer stuff. <laughs> And and you go into some places and people are like, look, man, this was only like 30 years ago. Like there are, I mean, it's still pretty, it's pretty like top, you know, I mean, it's pretty sensitive to people, obviously. Right. (laughs) Um, It's
2: unbelievable.
1: Kevin Bowen had an interesting column that he wrote yesterday and talked about and sent it out. And that is, and, and I don't think this is a huge surprise, but the Jonathan Taylor situation to me is fascinating because, you know, we know obviously, and we talked yesterday, um, with Chap about this or earlier this week. I can't remember actually if it was at the dinner last night or on the air when we talked to Chap about it. But, you know, the question mark of was there was it universally accepted? Was it widely across the board and understood from all parties that Jonathan Taylor would have the surgery and everyone was A okay with that? And I think at first there was probably some hesitation or question from people of like do we really need to do this and then as I think time has gone on I think they realize that ball control would have been an issue Brendan because of the thumb itself and the grip and I don't know that you realize you know more and more and it's only been to me in the last handful of years that I've noticed this Shaq Leonard, you know, Dwight Freeney was really good at this, obviously. But it used to be the anomaly when you would see defenders come in and as they're trying to tackle with one hand, probably because just the natural strength necessary for it was not as ubiquitous ubiquitous as it is now within the NFL. But when you come in to tackle a player, you come in, let's say, left hand to corral the player, the strength in that alone, and then with the right hand – the tactic now for a lot of players is to come down and try to whack the ball out, quite frankly. You know what I mean? I mean, try to – you see it all the time. I, I don't know – you know, back in the days when Walter Payton was carrying the ball like a loaf of bread or Earl Campbell was carrying it, you know what I mean? Tony Dorsett was really good at switching hands when he would run the football. But back in those days, you didn't have guys that were that were trying to to get it – you know, knock it loose. That is such a key part of defensive players stuff now that I can see where you want to make sure that a player has maximum grip to be able to protect the football. And I think that they've kind of figured that out with Taylor. But Kevin's question basically in the column he wrote was, is Jonathan Taylor going to return this year? And I think you know they had said initially what, two to six weeks? Two to three. Two to three, okay, yeah. And and I think there was discussion that it could be as long as six maybe, but the reason why he went to Los Angeles, that's what it was. The reason he went to L.A. to get the procedure done is because that was a doctor that has a history of being able to, you know, uh, make more rapid the recovery time. So two to three weeks would put him, you know, within target here down the home stretch, right?
2: Well, this, this is the, you know, third week. So, but yeah, I mean, Steichen was pretty, you know,
0: Pretty Steichen, yeah.
2: He was very. That's a great way to put it. Steichen was Steichen. At the end of the day, we're talking about the injury. So
1: Steichen, the stoic nature of Shane Steichen. At this point, he's like Rod Dauhauer was, right? Like he just he he's very rehearsed. Yeah. Correct.
2: Yeah, and it's it's a little. You know what's kind of funny is like, somebody might say it's Belichick esque, but Steichen's at least friendly up there. I mean, he's at least. Using his voice and stretching and answering the question. I mean, Belichick will go up there and, you know, it's it's not Belichick esque, but it is very rehearsed. Um, I think Belichick
1: is all by design, right?
2: Oh, did you? I mean, did you see him on game day this past week? He was friendly and he was happy and I saw him during the Army Navy game, right?
1: And he was like, he was the
2: guest picker on,
1: yeah, yeah, on game day. And he, I, I saw him on the sidelines before the game, you know, doing an interview. And I mean, he wasn't, like, doing backflips. But yeah, he was, he was, like, engaging.
2: Yeah, you he know, was kind. He didn't look I've, like a guy who was about to get fired. What I've
1: always heard is that Belichick is well aware. And, you know, Bob Knight used to do this really well. Bob Knight, in the NCAA tournament, there was no better must-see television back in the day than... The initial press conference for Bob Knight, whenever they would go, give me a city off the top of your head, Brendan King, give me a mid-market city that typically would host an NCAA first, second round. Uh, Minneapolis. Yeah, that's a Final Four city, but but really? we'll go with it. Oh yeah, Minneapolis? Yeah, that was... Okay, never mind. Um, The 92 Final Four, where Indiana got completely Ted Valentine, was in Minneapolis, but we'll take Minneapolis. Greensboro. So Okay, that? Greensboro, that's yeah. a good one. That's a really good one. So let's say Indiana goes to Greensboro. And they go there and they've got the Thursday-Saturday game and they're opening up against Boise State. So Indiana flies to Greensboro and they get there Wednesday night for their walkthrough or whatever else. And they would have a press conference for all of the coaches in Greensboro on that opening day. And Knight, that was when Knight was absolutely at his best because he would get up there and do crazy stuff and he'd grab the, the little glass of drinking water and polish it and look into it and act like he had a crystal ball and he would mock the press and he would... You know, that's he had the one time when they lost the game and he came out. And, he, and of course, that was a different story because they had been eliminated. But he always – the different things that he would do, the zaniness of Bob Knight was on full display in those press conferences. And the people that covered Knight regularly were like, here we go, BK Theater. That's what they used to call it. You can rip that off know, if you go. like. Yeah. Um, what he was doing was taking all of the attention that normally would be about Bob or about his team and taking it now on Bob Knight. So the headlines in the NCAA tournament was always, Indiana's Bob Knight said this, Indiana's Bob Knight did that, Indiana's Bob Knight wore this, and nobody was talking about the players. And then they just go out and play, right? And I think Belichick does an extent of that. I think Belichick, if you talk to Rick Venturi or Nick Saban or Kirk Ferentz or you know guys that have been on his staff, they'll tell you, he was He's a fun dude. He's a man's man. He's, oh, a, yeah. he's a fun guy. But I think that the whole acting like a complete antisocial jerk is somewhat by design because then it becomes about Belichick and nobody's talking about like the pressure on a team. A little bit different from a professional standpoint, I realize. But I think there's some gamesmanship that comes into that. In Steichen's case, I think Shane Steichen is strictly just a reserved guy who right. at this point and you look at Shane Steichen in the, the Places where he has played and coached. This is the first time he's really been on the spot, on the stage with the lights on him, right? And that comes with some adjustment period of just you know, kind of a mic fright, right, and a stage fright that comes with it. And you know, does that mean that suddenly he becomes shaky up there? I, I don't know about that, but I think eventually he gets to a point where he is a more comfortable coach in in. Handling the arrows as they're coming and knowing how to handle it, and right now what he has done as a first-year head coach to a really, I think, done a really good job with, is kind of staving the the microscope and just keeping it very like in the center lane with his press conferences, whatever else, where he's kind of controlling the narratives to an extent, and he's not having he's not putting himself in position to really be under massive scrutiny, and I think he's done a good job, Brendan, of just kind of looking the part.
2: Yeah. I don't think he's ever had a deer in headlights type moment, which if you ask people in Denver from last year with Hackett, I mean, the guy was a deer in headlights for his entire tenure, it felt like, right? So I I don't think Steichen has ever been phased. He looks confident on the sideline. So, yeah, I think from a body language perspective, he's been great.
1: Uh, Somebody just asked this question, by the way, and it's a fair question and one that we've talked about. It does get really confusing because if the Colts are in a situation where they are in a multi Team tie for a wild card. the The tiebreakers are are in fact different than if they're if it comes down to the division. The division tiebreakers and the wild card tiebreakers are very similar in many ways, but there are a few areas where they do vary, especially in the top tiebreaker. We'll tell you what some of those are. Matt, really good question. He said, "If the Jags, Colts, and Texans." All finish the season in a three-way tie. Who wins the division? We'll go over those tiebreakers for you one more time. I've actually got it from the NFL right here in front of me, so I'll read it because it gets a little convoluted. I'll read it, and then we'll see whether or not Brendan can pass geometry. And then Joel Erickson joins us, 1 o'clock. Query Company here, Hump Day Wednesday, 93.5, The Fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Joel Erickson going to join us just a couple minutes from now. NFL tiebreaker. Now, really good question, and we went over this yesterday, and it is confusing. Somebody sent me a thing yesterday like, dude, I think you're wrong. And it's confusing because it does vary whether you're talking about a tiebreaker for a wild card or a tiebreaker for the division. If, and this is, I'd have to look and see if this is still mathematically possible based on the combination of games yet to be played. But if Houston, Jacksonville, and the Colts all finish with the same record, okay, for the division, the first tiebreaker would be this and that is the record amongst the 3 of them. So right right now for example example you know I don't know what Jacksonville's record is against Houston but of those so if you have Jacksonville, Houston and Indianapolis then the first tiebreaker is whichever of those 3 teams has the best record amongst the games played from against the other two okay if that is still a tie so let's say that jacksonville and houston have or or indianapolis and jacksonville have the same record amongst the three of them okay Th- then i would imagine the the second it, this is I'll, i'm just going to read it to you as it's listed head to head best one tied percentage in games among the clubs that's if there's this is if there are 3 or more teams for the division. The the second tiebreaker, best one loss tied percentage in games played within the division. So then it becomes whichever one has the best record within the AFC South. Okay? So now you're factoring in the games with Tennessee. Okay? If that is still the same, best one loss tied percentage in common games. So now Mm. you're factoring in teams from outside the division that are a common opponent. If that still doesn't decide it, best one loss type percentage in games played within the AFC. So it's conference record. If that is still the same, uh, strength of victory in all games. Okay? Strength of victory. So that's like strength of schedule. And then if that's the same, and this is the one where... And this I find interesting because now finally we're seeing the value of the combine. Okay. This is the one that finally we are, it, it is the seventh tiebreaker, uh, highest vertical leap amongst centers. There you go. Because that's the all important. No, the seventh thing, best combined record amongst conference teams and points scored and points allowed. It goes all the way through. And then, literally, do you want to know what the last resort is? The 12th option. Eddie Garrison, do you have a guess as to what the 12th last resort is if all other tiebreakers have been exhausted?
2: A coin flip.
1: That is correct.
2: Ooh, I was going to guess Taylor Swift's next team.
1: That, well, after, that's after, true, after her too, Kelsey right? After Kelsey break up. The, the, the coin flip determines, after 11 different tiebreakers, it determines two things. It determines which team... Wins the division, and then it determines which team gets Ralph Sampson and which one gets Steve Stepanovich. <laughs> that's a throwback, by the way, for those of you old schoolers that are listening right now.
2: By the way, Jacksonville one and one against Houston.
1: Jacksonville's one and one against Houston. Yeah. And the Colts right now. I mean, the Colts could be also right.
2: Yeah, still to be determined. Right. I, I think the Colts probably are going to be two and zero. Oh, right. You would hope so. I oh, mean, it depends but on Jacksonville what... two and zero oh against Indy. Right. Yeah, right. That's that's the big one. Yeah.
1: I mean if you had to place it right now, who wins the AFC South?
2: Because the Jags had the early success against the Colts, Jacksonville. I mean that to me that's huge. You didn't take care of business when you had to against them. I I think the Jags are probably the one, right? But it all depends on how Lawrence is. I he can't Of course. He he can't win a Super Bowl on one leg. And I'm
1: telling you, man. We talk about the injury to Lawrence the the bigger injury for them might be that of Christian Kirk. Yeah. I mean that's a massive injury for them. You know, Ridley's played well. Obviously ET ETN at you know has his moments out of the backfield to take heat off, but and Lawrence himself, I mean Lawrence when he is good is really really good. But Lawrence when he's bad is pretty pedestrian. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't have his his biggest weapon, the guy that went out last year and got that has become a favorite for him and Christian Kirk is going to be out for at the very minimum up until the Super Bowl. And that's if they were to get to the Super Bowl. But I still think because they put themselves in position, you got to go with the law of averages, which would be Jacksonville. Joel Erickson next.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Eddie, do you want to know a side of my maturation? What'd you say? I'm sorry. You want to know a sign of my maturation? Aside from the gray in my hair, you are playing ELO, and I am refraining from telling my Tom Allen story for the 47th wow. time. I remembered this time. Aren't you proud of me? Yes. Is and it my youth? Is and it, we don't need to mention to Joel Erickson the part about the weird arena in Milwaukee being named for serial killers because we already <laughs> went over that. So we don't have to play his maniacal. Do we have his maniacal after anyway? Though he chuckled there. That is a true story. Look it up. That's a true story. Yeah, there we go. That's Joel Erickson, who's down in the lab. He joins us now talking about the Colts. Uh, Joel, before we begin, by the way, Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Star talking about the Colts taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend, I I will say again, and then I'll leave it because I'm sure our listening audience is tired of hearing me talk about it. uh, Spent the weekend in Milwaukee and my annual December trip up there with Shannon uh, and I know that Milwaukee is not your hometown, but it's your home state. Um, easily, easily, one of the three most underrated and fun-loving cities in America. Agree?
4: Yeah, no, it's it's great, and like you could get you can get a hotel downtown pretty easy. A lot of the time, and just have a, you can have a real nice time down there. Yeah, oh, yeah. I totally
1: agree with that. No, we stayed at the Ambassador. It was built in like 1920. It was cool. It had the old school elevators, and it was a nice. I mean, it was great. You is know? that
2: the haunted one?
1: No, that's the. Um, how's,
2: it uh, it? how's it
4: pronounced?
1: How's it pronounced? P F I S T E R. However you want to yeah, pronounce it. Yeah, I
4: actually it. don't know how it's pronounced, but right. it's the, that's the one that like the baseball players won't stay
1: at. Right. Correct. Um, hey, here's the th- here's the thing, Joel, and then we'll get to talking about the Colts. I. I had forgotten this, and I'll, and I'll forget about it in another week and then be reminded of it next December, but you growing up in Wisconsin, and maybe this is part of why you have uh, a, an oddly sadistic laugh when somebody mentions Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, what do you do about the fact that it gets dark at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the wintertime there?
4: Uh, it, it's not great. I mean, you just it, – it's also so cold, though, that you're just not outside. Now, growing up – I grew up on a dairy farm, so I was like – sometimes like in the barn and stuff when it was dark and that's that's rough it's really rough when it's like dark and cold and it's 4 p.m but
1: now yeah there's there's nothing you can really do about it you ha- just gonna hang have, on. To, have to bear it since you grew up on a dairy farm and we will again save the colts for one more question here i i must ask i don't know if you know but cow was my first word i had a i was given a stuffed cow when i was an infant i still have it um my goal in life is to have a pet cow now are they do they make good pets <laughs>
4: I I would not say that they make good pets. Um, you know, I, I guess I, they're okay as like, you know, some people have them as like kind of like lawn ornaments if they have big if they have big property where they mm-hmm. you know they have cows that are just kind of there to eat grass and look good. But I, I don't know about good pets. They're they're not the cuddliest things.
1: But 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 they're not like they don't. I mean they don't go out drinking and stuff like that, right? I mean they're relatively docile, are they not? They're relatively docile, but
4: they—they they also really, at least the ones I grew up around, really didn't like to be in the fence they were supposed to be in. That's most of my issue with cows—is how many times they leave the fence that they're ah, supposed to be in. Okay,
1: well, <laughs> all right. So I'll just get a cow, and we'll just be rebel rousers together, right? And then, <laughs> yeah. and when I—and when my cow proves to be a great pet, it'll be example number two. While you're a psychopath, okay, that's cool. You're, you're, yeah.
4: You need to get a—you need to get a cow, and then just—just just be aware you might need to apologize to your neighbors a lot.
1: Well, I'm not going to have neighbors. When I listen, I'm I'm going to buy massive amounts of land in Wyoming and never be heard from again. Which will actually be to the joy of many people listening right now, I'm sure. Um, okay, Joel. So let's begin with this. Um, yesterday, Kevin Bowen had mentioned it. Brennan and I talked about it earlier. Jonathan Taylor, your guess on return date?
4: I I don't think this week. Um, maybe next. I, I've seen him around. I've seen him around here in the facility. They're they're actually out. They're actually out at practice right now, um, but obviously he, would have, he was listed with a DNP. I, I think I think maybe you know next week's four weeks. Maybe, maybe we start thinking about it then. We, I've seen him around. We haven't got a chance to talk to him yet, though.
1: Now, do you believe and, – and by no means am I trying to, to make something out of nothing. I, I'm actually trying to avoid that. Um, initially speaking, do you think the Colts as an organization were 100% on board with him going to Los Angeles to get that procedure? Or did they? Was there some thought of, hey, we should have given this a glimpse of playing through it?
4: Um, all, all I know is that Shane Steichen, when he when we asked him about this, was like, we were worried about him being able to hold the football and pass block and stuff like that. My understanding of the UCL is it like basically kind of keeps your thumb attached, and they, I, I, that that was my understanding was that they were pretty worried about you know, like ball security issues and stuff like that.
1: The um, Joel Erickson is our guest from the Indianapolis Star. Joel, in terms of the Cincinnati game, we talked about this the other day, so I want your opinion on it. Late in the year, oftentimes, when teams lose games, it's because – There is enough irrefutable evidence of areas of weakness that are finally becoming exploited because there's an, you know, they could see, look, these were not anomalies. These are areas to attack this specific team. Did Cincinnati do that? Or is this an area where you look at it and go, yeah, they had an off day and no real area concern that they can't bounce back against Pittsburgh?
4: No, I, I I actually thought that there that that's what Cincinnati did was they did put all the Colts weaknesses on display pretty well. You know, the you, we we all know you can't ask Gardner Minshew to win the entire game by yourself, but if they can't run the football at all, that's inevitably what you're asking the quarterback to do is win the game by himself, and you know it did not go well. Uh, I don't think that surprises anybody. They've also been kind of flirting with some of these performances offensively with with the bad running game. Like do you think back to Carolina and New England, you know, they they won both those games but they only scored ten points against New England. The offense, I think, only scored thirteen against Carolina. It's the same type of thing. Like not a ton of running game. Not quite as bad as it was on Sunday, but not a ton of running game and everything on the passing game and the passing game unable to hold its weight. I, I do think that they've got to figure out a way to start running the ball again. If if only because you can't ask Gardner Minshew to to win the whole game by himself. He's a backup quarterback. That's, that's that's just not a formula for success. And then the other thing is, we've said all along, I think, that you know one of the things about this Colt schedule is it is not full of quarterbacks who can take advantage of a young and um, very volatile secondary. And I don't know that Jake Browning is necessarily the best person for that, but if you look at the Bengals receivers, and I know Jamar Chase didn't have a huge day, but after talking to Gus Bradley, it, it sounds like they were so worried about Chase that they kind of gave up some, you know, the screen and some of this other stuff. It, that's the kind of team that has always been uh, a potential problem for this defense. This defense is, is heavily reliant on the pass rush because the pass rush takes away some of the issue for the coverage. And if you have a quarterback who's smart enough to get the ball out quick um, or, or, in their case, to run screens and, and do play action and stuff like that, and you have good receivers. You you can get to the secondary, and I think you know Cincinnati kind of did all of that all that stuff. Now, whether or not Pittsburgh, with Mitch Trubisky and some of their offensive issues, can do it is probably another question.
2: Hey Joel, good to hear your voice. Uh, so no, Braden Smith yesterday in the walkthrough participation. Kevin just tweeted he's not at practice today. Uh, do you get a sense that he'll play again this year?
4: I think if they were sure he wouldn't play again next year, he would be on IR. You know, but it it also is, it also does make me wonder with Jared Veldier here, you know, even on the practice squad, because you can just elevate him if you want to. I wonder if this is going to be another lengthy absence like the first one was. They've given us almost nothing on a timeline, but it does seem like, you know, I can't imagine, I just can't think of any other reason why you would sign uh, a 36-year-old tackle who hasn't played in three years. Unless you're thinking that maybe you might have an issue uh, at right tackle. Uh, but if if they if they knew for sure that he wasn't going to play the rest of this year, he'd be on IR.
1: By the way, by the way, Joel, I just got a, a tweet here um, that says cows actually make great pets uh dairy cows are totally different cows make awesome pets i have two and all they want to do is cuddle all the time now that might be rough i've only got a california king uh cows are really <laughs> good pets if you have the room now did you have dairy cows or, or unfortunately beef cows
4: no we're wisconsin we're dairy yeah
1: okay so that so dairy cows are the ones that are they just want to run away is that right well, uh, that
4: was my experience. My experience was that they they just they're constantly looking for new places to graze, and they break through the fence. And that's that, I mean, you know, I was I was in my teens and didn't want to have to run through a field to go chase some cows. So I, I probably have a uh, a little bit. Uh, but there's there's also a piece of this too, where like I think it's different when a, it's probably different when a cow is like your pet or your hobby, mm-hmm. and it's different when your cow is like your livelihood. I think that's <laughs> probably a big difference uh-huh. here too.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and here's the thing, cows. I, I here's what I think is the issue, Joel. I think for me, cows would know when they see me. I'm a cuddler, and with you, they'd know you're a little off. I think that's probably what the issue is, right? I mean, you're running around, and you know, you're you're running around in Milwaukee Brewer tank tops. I mean, come on, you, you know. I mean, I I I I don't think I don't think it's I don't think
4: cows have a great sense of who they're dealing with. No, I don't think they're like dogs that way.
1: Okay, I think they're very keen. To be honest with you, um, Braden Smith, by the way, not practicing today. Juju Juju Brents uh, back on the field. Let's begin with Braden Smith. When when with Braden Smith, you know, would you expect return? And I, I thought it was actually the left side of the line more so than the right, Joel, that really struggled with Cincinnati. But your thoughts?
4: Yeah. Well, Ber- Bernhard Ryman had had his first real rough game of the year he, he and he kind of you know he 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 said that after the game too that Hendrickson got the best of him but yes he, he didn't have he didn't have a great game I think I think the right side of the line and whether or not Braden Smith is going to I if he's not practicing today I don't I don't think he's I, my guess would be that he's probably not going to go but the, the the concern obviously against Pittsburgh is that T.J. Watt typically plays against the right tackle and Blake Freeland um, well, he has been, I think, better than most people expected. Has not been he has not been anywhere near as good as Braden Smith has been when they played this year. Smith has been much better than Freeland when he's when he, when he's been in the lineup this year. So there there is reason to be concerned uh, if if Braden Smith. Well, and in, in, you know it sounds like Braden Smith won't be able to go. And,
1: and you know when you talk about well, T.J. Watt for that matter is questionable as well, right? Like we don't we don't necessarily know that you're getting a hundred percent of him, right? Yeah, that that whole situation
4: has been kind of weird to try to pay attention to. There's a bunch of, like, pseudo-concussion stuff and migraines, and I don't fully – I don't really know exactly what to expect from him. I'm kind of just waiting on the the actual injury report. But, I mean, if he doesn't play, it changes the whole game. If he does play, obviously you're dealing with a – well, I mean, you know, the the last time they played – I mean, obviously, there's Hendrickson on Sunday had the big game. But, you know, they they played Miles Garrett, and that did not go well for the Colts. And that's the kind of player that that Watt is. So you you worry about if he's on the field, um, you'd rather have Braden Smith out there.
1: The following is kind of a moot point because of the fact that he is on the practice field. And I think at this point, we would say that we expect Juju Brentz to be seen in the game against Pittsburgh. But were you surprised that that was delayed a week?
4: Uh, I, I at the end of last week, I did think that he was going to play. I was a little surprised, um, but he he also you know kind of said that he wasn't going to play unless he could really go. Obviously, that's not a matchup um, against Jamar Chase where you feel like you're um, you, you want to have somebody out there who's less than than you know fully confident in their in their legs. Um, but yeah, I I did think I. Well, I mean, I I did my things to watch that I do for the – I always try to put like a Colts-specific number on it. I put 29 on it. I I thought that he was trending towards playing.
1: With Juju Brents, Joel – I think Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Stars, I guess, we're talking about the Colts and the Steelers. Colts back on the practice field right now, as a matter of fact, on the field. Juju Brents, EJ Speed, uh, Jalen Jones, or I should say earlier today, they've been out so far. Um, When you talk about Juju Brents, Joel – Are we, in our mind, embellishing the impact that he may have because he hasn't been there? Does it fall into the category of, like, you? there's a revisionist history of a guy's value because he's not there, and you go, well, if he was there, or have we seen enough in the very brief time that we've seen him to know that, in fact, as a rookie, he has already exceeded expectation and is a critical piece for them?
4: I think – I think he's more of a critical piece because um, because it, it you know it moves probably Daryl Baker out of the lineup than it does in terms of him being a, a sort of front line clear number one corner now. I, I wonder too with him being out six weeks, if we should be expecting some rust, if we should be expecting maybe a rotation at first to try to get him back into it I mean six weeks, six games is a long time to be out. And I've been wondering the same thing. Now, and, and the other thing is, he he is still a rookie, and we have not seen that much of him. He he's had a few mistakes in games that I think people have kind of forgotten about because he was injured and, and they wanted to see him back in the lineup. But there's 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 going to be some rough spots there, even once he gets back in the lineup. Now, the the question though is, how much better is he over who his replacement would be? And I think in that case, we've probably seen enough to think. You know he's he's going to do a better job, especially in the physicality department.
2: Joel, would you call this a resurgence year for Kenny Moore?
4: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know it, he's he last year, and they they talked about this all off season, but they they really felt like he he really felt like he wasn't being deployed the best way he can be deployed in the in the scheme last year, and they kind of gave him some more chances. Um, I he's, he's looked a lot more like Kenny, I thought, this season. Um, and and they've gotten him around the line of scrimmage a lot more, which is always a good thing. Um, it's always a good thing to have him around the line of scrimmage just from a, a tackling standpoint, from a blitzing standpoint. Um, honestly, the first screen, if he doesn't get pushed in the back, he probably doesn't go for a touchdown. So um, he, he's not a guy who misses tackle very often.
1: You know, it's interesting – Joel, as I was driving, back, actually back from Milwaukee, I listened to the entire Colts-Bengals game on the Bengals radio version. Is what I got, and they were—I mean, they loved Kenny Moore. Literally, the, the Bengals radio broadcast. It's interesting to get the perspective of from a group that doesn't see him regularly, right? And the thing, quite frankly, that they talked—they kept mentioning about him was the kind of the ball hawk nature of him of his ability at least in their assessment his speed ability to get to plays even if they aren't plays that were necessarily within his area and and that's something that that probably speaks more than anything else to just the overall health of Kenny Moore right and then Brennan to your point kind of a redemption because he definitely a year ago and I think he talked about did he not Joel in camp didn't Kenny Moore essentially say that some of the off-field stuff a year ago might have Actually, had impact on him in terms of just his focus overall.
4: Yeah, he did. He did hint at that a little bit. He hinted at that. He definitely talked a lot about like after the season, he went in and and sat down with Gus Bradley and talked about his role and what it was going to be, and, and talked to the defensive backs coach Ron Miles and and what it was going to be and why he felt like it didn't fit. You know, the change in coordinators that the last system that that sort of Eberflus Tampa two. Like there's there's nickels you can look at pretty easily in that system. Rondé Barber is the most obvious one to say like you know that system highlights that position. Whereas you don't necessarily have that as much in in Gus Bradley's past. And I think that they realize you know this is something we're missing out on here. It, anything where you just have him around the ball, um, I think that they're pro- they're making a good point about that. For me, it's, for me, it's even even more so than the interception stuff. It's just the line of scrimmage stuff. He, He's almost like – the way I think of Kenny is almost the way we think of like sort of the old-school strong safeties in terms of, yes, you're going to get ball production and coverage production, but you just get – you get so much at the line of scrimmage in the run game. Um, He takes away essentially the other team's ability to to do a lot of like the the, the quick throw or end around or sweep stuff that, that teams want to do to get their running backs you know, out on the edge without a bunch of people around him. He just takes all that stuff away because he's so good at taking on blocks and getting through them and so good at tackling.
1: Do you think, Joel, Joel Erickson, Indy Stour, our guest, do you think in any way or how, I guess I should say, and I know that you don't cover the Steelers, but just in kind of being around and and feeling out defensively the the mood or the tone for the Colts, how much different is Pittsburgh with Mitchell Trubisky than Kenny Pickett?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. I I really don't I don't think it's going to be a ton. Um, you know, Pickett Pickett was not having a good season at all. Um, the The Steelers the Steelers are kind of a weird team to look at because they're seven and six, but in terms of trying to figure out like exactly what they do well when you when you start looking at the numbers and everything, it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, the one thing I can tell you they do really well is that they, they they take the ball away from people a lot and they don't turn it over much. They're plus ten on the season. But other than that, like even their defensive numbers, like it's the Steelers, so you sort of automatically just think, Well, they're definitely winning these games of defense because they've got these problems at quarterback. A lot of their yardage rankings are in the twenties. They're they're down in the you know, in the bottom half of the league. They just get so many turnovers that they've been able to win these games.
1: You know, the The Steelers' record against the Colts, Joel, I mean, it's unbelievable. We mentioned yesterday, you know, only two quarterbacks have beaten Pittsburgh since they came – since the Colts came to Indianapolis, and that's Mike Pagel once and Peyton Manning, I think, twice. I mean, this is a team that, for whatever reason – and you kind of catch yourself, Joel, falling victim to that, and then you think about it and you go, look, I mean, you know, what – what Barry Foster was able to do against the Colts 30 years ago means a hell of beans in this game but it kind of feels like it doesn't it yeah it's kind of like well it's kind of like the Jacksonville thing where like
4: you, you know the, the when the players say like it's a different year and a different team like i i do buy into that and believe that that's true whenever they say that like you just think about how different the teams have been this last four or five years as they've been cycling through quarterbacks, like the just the Colts teams. And so I do buy into that. But then you have this weird stretch of games in Jacksonville where they just can't win. And it it does make you wonder, like, is there something that goes along with it? Because you're right. If you're looking at this Steelers team, like you should not be looking at this as the Steelers of, you know, Ben Roethlisberger. Um that going toe-to-toe with teams in the playoffs. Like, yes, they're in the playoff mix, but it, it almost feels like how does Mike Tomlin have this have a team this bad in the playoff mix? And, you know, when you look at it that way, it's like, okay, well, we probably shouldn't think about that stuff. But then there's this there's this weird nagging thing with Jacksonville and teams getting these weird streaks, and you wonder if there's there's something that we can't quantify about, you know, when teams get in these weird schneids against teams, they can't get out of it.
1: By the way, how many cows make up a dairy farm?
4: Oh, that's so that is a much different answer now than it used to be. So, like, when my dad was growing up, um, you could do it with, like, I I can't remember. I'm probably going to get some of these numbers wrong, but I think they had, like, 50 to 60, and then, like, up to 100 or whatever. But now, essentially, like, the way my dad grew up and the way we tried to grow up, like, those farms don't exist anymore. And now it's all just enormous, huge farms with thousands of cows. Um, Basically, all of the smaller farms sold – their land to the big farms and okay. the big farms so, so what, what we're
1: getting at here joel let's, let's be honest okay at one time dairy farms like the erickson farm with a little mom and pop joint on the town square and then the walmart farms came along and they've taken over all of it yeah that's pretty much it
4: yeah that's the simple that's the simplified version
1: yeah okay fair enough so so there's no erickson family farm anymore
4: there is not there is not i I'm gonna get the numbers wrong, but it's it's still it's it's something in this neighborhood. My dad said like in the three counties where around us there used to be like seventy five or eighty farms twenty years ago and now it's
1: three. Really? Okay.
2: Can you still milk a cow if you had to?
1: Uh yes. I do not want to at it's, all. There are machines that do it, right?
4: Yeah, well that's yeah, we did it with machines. I can do it uh I can do it the manual way, but we didn't do that growing up. We did it with machines.
1: Now, were you aware when you were a kid growing up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin? Were you aware of the milk connection to the Indianapolis Five Hundred? Uh, yes. Because now, I
4: probably did. I probably didn't know like all of it, but like I was a voracious Sports Illustrated reader, so I knew that there was. I knew that they drank milk when they won.
1: Okay, well, that's cool. Well, fair enough. And then lastly. Um, I, I'm always impressed by this in Wisconsin. When when we were leaving, I went into Woodman's, which is the I was trying to tell the guys here. Oh, it's is the it, best. speaking of Walmart, it's yeah, Vernon's been there. It's a grocery store that's three times the size of Walmart, and I think the most exciting thing about it is the the beer aisle at the Woodman's grocery store in Wisconsin is actually the size of a, a, an entire Kroger here in Indiana. Like it's amazing. Um, which New Glarus beer would you go with, Joel?
4: Uh. Since it's winter now, I would go fat squirrel.
1: <laughs> okay, that's right. Well, you know that and that which is a brown ale, correct? It's a brown ale, yeah. I, during the summer, so they've in the last, however, well, I can't. I don't know when exactly it came
4: out, but they've come out with cabin fever, and that in the, when it's when it's warmer outside, I'm, I'm more of a cabin fever person. But once it starts to get cold, you want a little bit more flavor in it. Let's go with the. Let's go with the, the fat squirrel.
1: Well, I had cabin fever by 3.15 because it got dark at a quarter after two when I was up there. But, you know, hey, Joel, appreciate the time as always. And and remember this, PBR is your friend all year long, right? That's true. That's very true. <laughs> you could not have said that better. That's right. All right, Joel, appreciate the time. Yep. Thanks for having me uh, on. Joel Erickson thanks, Joel. on the hotline here. Uh, Brendan, you have had the Spotted Cow, is that right? Eddie, have you tried the Spotted Cow yet?
3: uh it is sitting at home in the fridge right now okay. i was waiting for it to chill and then i will probably crack one open He's waiting tomorrow. for it to
1: chill in the yeah. fridge i brought it back from wisconsin out of i bought it at the refrigerator and was and it's been sitting in my car how much more chill do you need <laughs> well i had it in the studio for I think more hours on end
2: have you ever had another delicacy of woodman's well i guess wisconsin in general Sprecher root beer oh yeah yes yeah, yeah. It's
1: the best yeah. that's the, what the that's got the little crow fellow, right? It's a sad yeah, day because they no longer cute fella. Right.
3: They no longer sell those in the bottle. It's no, canned. Didn't. Nope, it's canned now.
1: Is no hold on? Is Sprecher I, root beer made in Wisconsin or made in Germany? In well, Florida, at the Wisconsin
2: Dells, there's the Sprecker restaurant. Okay, and you could get one on tap. No, they have the bottles.
3: I. I used to. Olivia loves that, so I would always buy it at the grocery store whenever I go grocery shopping. They don't, sir. They don't sell it anymore at any of the grocery stores that I shop at.
2: Maybe here, but I, I mean, I got them this summer, and
3: well, I was we a summer. Need, this summer. Here's what we need. In, this isn't the like last month.
2: We need an Indianapolis. I, I'll make a bet with you. I'll make a bet with you. I could find bottled Sprecher
3: Okay, uh, Eddie. I hate to team up here. I, I, I'm with Brendan on this one. I'm yeah, just I, saying. I think he's right. At the stores that I shop at. I have... I can't find it anymore. I'll bring you some. How about that?
1: Okay. Well, you're shopping at AutoZone. <laughs> yep. Go oh. to Woodman's for crying out loud, right? There's, <laughs> okay. there's a difference for you. So here...
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at K-I-S-Q-A-L-I dot com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you. That's
1: what I've decided... Give me a city, Brendan, like a major city off the top of your head that's somewhat in the vicinity of Indianapolis. Not not named Milwaukee or Chicago. Major city? Yeah. Detroit. Detroit, okay. So if you go to Detroit, you go up there, and I'm trying to think of what it would be. I, they've got a really good uh, brewery up there, actually. Um, Mottman turned me on to it. It's right on Jefferson. I forget the name of it, though. But, like... There's got to be something in Detroit that when you go up, like, is indigenous to Detroit. And so, somebody that's from Detroit, you're like, hey, you need to bring you any back type thing. Like, Spotted Cow to Milwaukee. Or, like, if you're going to St. Louis, I guess it would be like Emo's Pizza, which I think is really not very good. Have you ever had it? No. The people in St. Louis. Overrated. Will, yeah, people in St. Louis will throw you down a flight of stairs for it. And it's like, I don't know. Like, I had bounty paper towels and threw ketchup on it once. It's kind of what it tastes like.
3: I'd rather have their barbecue than pizza.
1: Really? Mm hmm. Have well, you, not have they, you right? on, the, on uh, the Hill, the in and St. Louis is St. Louis I mean. also they're big about the toasted raviolis. Those are good. I mean, they're good. But like I, when I was there, I think I've mentioned before, everybody's like, you know, we're known for our toasted raviolis. I'm like, yeah, I don't think anybody outside of St. Louis thinks that. But OK, you know, like, but there's got to be. So Detroit actually is a tough one. I'm trying to think of what it would be. But we need we need something in Indianapolis that you can only get in Indianapolis. I mean, the St. Elmo's shrimp cocktail sauce would be about it. Right. Like, what's the thing that if you if you were born and raised in Indy and you moved elsewhere and somebody was like, hey, I'm going to Indianapolis for the weekend, what's the thing that you'd be like, you've got to bring me back blank? Yeah. It would have been for me, quite frankly, and this was available like everywhere, but for me personally, and I know that this is not, it, it kind of became known as an Indianapolis thing, even though it wasn't necessarily specifically or indigenously an Indianapolis thing, But for my buddies and I growing up, and it's different now, but for my buddies and I growing up, it was a foregone conclusion that if we all got together in Indianapolis, we went to Steak and Shake. That was like the place. Yeah. Um, And I can still tell you what each one of my friends ordered. My buddy Dewey, by the way, happy birthday to him. Every time, um, cookies and cream, milkshake, and then he would always say, with a blank ton of whipped cream. And I'm like, why don't you say extra whipped cream? And ton? Crap ton? Basically, right? And, and so, finally, somebody said, like, why don't you just say extra whipped cream?" And He said, because if I say extra, they'll charge me extra. If I say it this way, they just do it and they don't think about it. Crafty move. Interesting. Dewey's birthday today, by the way. Happy 51st birthday to Dewey. But, um, but Mug you can bun? get steak and shake anyway. What's that? Mug and bun? Mug and bun's a good one. Or, like, just tenderloins in general, I guess, right?
2: Yeah. I will I'm... say, now, there are bakeries in every single town Ooh, and city.
1: Well, I know where you're going here.
2: But if I don't bring... When I go home, a box of Long's Donuts back to my parents. They are legitimately upset.
1: Long's Donuts is a really good one. That's a really good one. You know, I mean, there are great donut places. You know, Quack Daddy Daddy makes great donuts. Jax makes great donuts. But the the Long's Donuts, though, Titus makes great donuts. Different. But the Long's Glazed Donuts are just a different Different thing, right? Because they're like kind of mashed together.
2: Yeah. And sometimes they'll throw an extra in there just for you, you know, if you're nice. That's a good one.
1: That's a good. Patties of Jamaica would be my call. That's the other one for my buddies and I. Eddie, you've heard me mention it. Um, yeah. We spent so much time at 52nd Allisonville at Patties of Jamaica. That would probably be my other one. Is that now a restaurant? that I think
2: about it, what's that? Is that a restaurant?
1: Yeah, it's it is a restaurant and it's literally Jamaican patties, which are just I don't even know how to describe them. There's no way to describe them. Um, but Stefan, who runs it, it's it, I've mentioned it a million times. It's just the best. It's just a guy grub place. You go in there. You sit down, the place is literally the size of a quarter of this studio, and they got a couple tables, so you end up sitting with some, you know, you know, know, usually some painter or construction worker that's on lunch break, and you end up sitting with him and shooting the bowl for 10 minutes and eating a couple of patties, and it costs like five bucks. <laughs> it's the best. Patties in Jamaica, really good. Um, if you're just joining us, by the way, on the practice field today for the Colts, the good news for the Colts is the fact that Juju Brents is out on the practice field. So too EJ Speed, not on the practice field Braden Smith, Jonathan Taylor. And the Taylor Watch, I guess, officially, Brandon, we're kind of entering into that category, Are We not, that, that time period, right, of being back on Taylor Watch again?
2: Yeah, I mean, they initially said two to three weeks, but based on all the interviews we've done, and I'm sure you've done with Jimmy, I mean, the thumb thing, I mean, it's a matter of, like you said, gripping the football, and that's one of the most important jobs of his position. Um, By the
1: way, somebody said the best way to describe a – Jamaican patty. It's like a meat-filled crepe. Yeah, that's not bad. Meat-filled crepe. It's kind of like if you take a, a pita bread. Yeah. But you make it slightly cheesy, like a cheese, a, a slight cheese flavor to it. You kind of toast slash bake it so it's got a little bit of a, a an exterior crunch to it. And then on the inside, you have a slightly spicy ground beef, a Jamaican okay. spice ground beef.
2: Someone said yats. That's a good one.
1: Yeah, yeah, but yats you can get in New Orleans, right? Yats is good. I like yats, it's good. I like do you like do you like Creole and or Cajun food? I mean, obviously if you like Yats, you do, right?
2: I mean I don't go out of my way for it, but we always like fraternity days when rush week, you know, you always cater meals for the kids and we always got Yats one night. Really? Yeah. Always catered Yats. And you're living in the fraternity house still, right? Right now, yeah. So you're like Vince Vaughn in old school, is that right?
1: <laughs> as <laughs> close to right? it as you can. You be. got? Are you running a speaker business on the side? No. I'm, so you're that you're the house dad, right? Yeah. They, yeah. What do they call you? BK. They call you dad?
2: Yeah. No. BK. Just.
1: And, and so you and you're okay to say what fraternity this is, right? Yeah, this is Delta Tau Delta at Butler University. Okay, so which, by the way, uh, Jason Venturi, my buddy, growing up. Yeah. Rick, Rick Venturi's son. Yeah. He's a, he's a Delta Butler. Yeah. Um. So you live in the house. Do you live in the cold dorm?
2: <laughs> Thank God, no. Uh, so imagine you walk in the house and you're in a foyer. Turn to your right. There's the house library. It's a, the quietest section of the house. And just to the right of the yeah, library. It never sees any action. Right? Yeah, right. Well, now it does. It's finals week. Uh, there's a legit, it's a full-on apartment. I have a bedroom. I have a kitchen. It's great. And then
1: what? your main responsibility is what?
2: Be there for the guys. Basically, unlock doors. That is when guys lose their keys. But other than that, just act as an advisor. and. Do you have to lay down the law ever? Once in a while. I mean, I, it's my job to inf- – I've been there for three years. So th- it, this is like being a coach and you enter your third or fourth year. Guys know what to expect of you. So you don't have to give them a hard training camp. You know what I'm saying?
1: So – but for example – Yeah. Yeah. If there's something going on that's of illegality, do you have to turn the other way, or do you just say like, "Guys, like you got to be within reason here"?
2: With those things, I put my foot down when I first got there. So again, they know what to expect. But if it does happen, you put your foot down, and, and then there are owners of the house that are above me, and they take care of that. Now, stuff. do
1: you do you guys do like cleaning and stuff like that? The guys clean themselves. Because when I was a pledge, that was um, I didn't. know You were uh, you rushed. I was a Fidel at the University of Kansas. You were, and every morning at like six a.m., we brassed doorknobs. Oh, and I was—I was old school, man. I was back in the days before you know you—you you, you softer guys. All of a sudden, you know. You, well, hey, hold on a minute. I, I was back when being a pledge was being a pledge.
2: I, I was a I was a pledge. We, we can't call them pledges anymore. Um, oh, have you ever been to the Fidel House at Butler? It's a stone castle.
1: Yeah, well it's gone, isn't it? Didn't, no, it's were they, it's I mean I know the house is still there. Is Fidel still there? Yeah. Okay. I mean they I got was kicked back, at IU. I was back in the
2: day, but Yeah, they got kicked at IU, I think.
1: Um we had I mean, we got we got hazed pretty hard to be honest.
2: I th- I could say I did not have that, but I mean Now we did do this.
1: The this was not the worst thing that happened to us. But my pledge class got volunteered by the actives, not volunteered. I think we agreed to it because we thought it'd be awesome because we got to go free. Uh, The Kansas City Chiefs and Oakland Raiders played, obviously every year because they're divisional rivals, Arrowhead Stadium. And we were signed up to get into the game for free because we were the cleanup crew after the game. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the the great broom revolt of 91, where we were cleaning the upper deck of Arrowhead Stadium. One guy in the pledge class broke into Marty Schottenheimer's office. True story. No kidding. Um, yeah, I, I kid you not. And But at any rate, we we were cleaning and, and sweeping the aisles. And, I mean, it was dark, and it was like midnight by this time. And, I mean, it was like, oh, my, you know, it's a much more arduous task than one would assume. And I I probably shouldn't admit this, but I hoisted my broom from the upper level, uh, just swung that bad boy like a helicopter blade landed it i don't think it made it to the field but it made it to the lower levels and then i just started screaming in a maniacal tone hoist them hoist them and before long everybody threw their own broom and we're like we're out of here and we got together and we left we walked out of the stadium and then we're like well what do we do now like uh, how do we even get back (laughs) no ubers so i can't yeah no ubers so i can't remember how we got back but we got back to lawrence and we walked in and like literally all the actors were like dude we thought you guys would be back seven hours ago we can't believe you made it that long i think they got paid you know you get paid by the hour or something but um I mean fun time I guess in in hindsight but but anyway back to the point I there's got to be something that Indianapolis we need to come up with our own like little cuisine right that that yeah. aside from Jamaican patties is what I'm I'm determining uh is is the one
2: You can uh you have a you can have a company owned restaurant and you can divulge your own menu
3: That's not a bad idea Didn't uh
2: it'd be nothing but Jamaican patties <laughs>
3: Donuts. Steak and
1: shake cheeseburgers. And <laughs> Didn't like, you have a, a concept <laughs> around
3: like a sandwich place before as well?
1: Thank you, Eddie. That That is right. Um, I got to think about that. Um, what was the concept? It was something witch, right? I can't remember. Green witch? Oh, I know what it was. I know what it was. I know what it was. When we had on Tony East, I made reference to the fact that I always forget which one was the the good oh, witch yes. and the bad witch, right? Yeah.
3: In connection to... The Wizard of Oz. Yeah.
1: But I believe the the East, it was the Wicked Witch of the West, right? Yep. And then the Good Witch was the Witch of the East, right? She was great, yeah. So what did I say that the name of the, the, the sandwich place should be? Uh, Glenda's Sandwich Shop. That's what it was yes. because Glenda's the, the, the Good Witch. There you go. So Glenda's Good Witch Sandwich Shop, right? Just call it Glenda's. Why is it Glenda? Because that's the Good Witch. And these are good witches. Good sandwiches. I'm telling you, these are the kinds of things that I think about late at night. When I'm sitting there and I'm wondering to myself, can the Colts beat the Steelers with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback? And yes, I think they can. And, you know, of all games, actually, for Juju Brents to come back, maybe this is a good one, Brendan, because you're not looking at – there are some receiver options for Pittsburgh that are a little bit dangerous. Yep. But it feels like Juju Brents, you could go with the situation of kind of getting him – Um if you were bringing him back to a game and letting him kind of slow re-entry, maybe this is the game to do it, right? Instead of, and I don't know how many vaunted passing attacks. You know, Houston, for example, we now know C.J. Stroud.
2: Brennan, the latest on C.J. Stroud is? Not practicing today.
1: So, again, you know, maybe heading down the home stretch, Stroud, because he's, he's essentially in what? Is it a concussion protocol? Yeah. So, you know, you don't know when the time of that is or how long he's out for that. So So maybe that does allow you, for Brent's, to kind of slow re-entry in, but he is, again, as I've mentioned, he's he's a bigger corner, he's athletic, and you didn't think at the beginning of the year, I just keep saying this like a broken record probably, but I never would have guessed at the beginning of the season in camp when Brents was out and you thought like, well, this guy's rookie year may be a wash because he's got to get time out there. And then when he was out, and and I certainly hope this is the end of comparison, but I remember saying to myself – Juju Brents feels like a Bob Sanders type mentality, and by that I mean he just has like a range and an athleticism, but more so like kind of a a a nastiness about him where he plays bigger probably than he is, even though he's a, he's a bigger size. But he he doesn't back from anything in the limited time that we've seen him, and that was a Bob's you know Bob Sanders was a heat seeking missile. Problem is, Bob Sanders just wasn't on the field very often. And one season does not a career make by any stretch of the imagination, but in Juju Brents' case, you're talking about a guy that when he's been out there has been active, has been a little bit nasty um, because he just seems to not be afraid of any moment, any matchup, anything that's going on around him. But you hope that the comparisons end there because you don't want him to be a guy that becomes injury-prone and misses critical minutes because of injury over the course of the totality of a career. But I think, you know, the fact that he's back on the practice field today, along with EJ Speed and along with Jones, I mean, that, that's good news for the Colts. But again, if you're just joining us, Braden Smith, Jonathan Taylor, both still out. And Zach Kiefer in with us in about 14 minutes. We're going to talk about one of the most fabulous moments in Colts history, at least from a media standpoint. We'll explain when Zach from The Athletic joins us at 2. couple of
0: house. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: Any notes to get to? Number one, thank you to Amy and to those who pointed it out to me. The the Good Witch of the East is the one the house falls on, which I think upset the Wicked Witch of the West. But Glenda is the Good Witch of the North. So you've got to have so my sandwich shop, and that's good because I'm a north side guy. I love all parts of Indy, but I grew up on the north side. So my sandwich shop will be on the north side and it'll be called Glenda's. And if anybody says, why is this place called Glenda's? It's well, because it's the good witch and we have nothing but good witches here. What would you like? Would you like a ham witch? Would you like a turkey witch? Which which witch would you like? And then it becomes you know, because I was the North Central High School Radio and Television 1991 tongue twisting champion. I could say to you, like, well, which witch would you like? And you know, and that that goes into a whole different talk show. That's
2: right? a great Scooby Doo episode. Which witch is which? <laughs> <laughs> Look at
1: you with Scooby Doo reference. Also a um favorite show growing up. Really? Yeah. Okay, do you believe Two network? Do you yeah. believe, by the way? Uh huh. Oh yeah. You got Fred, Daphne, Velma, Shaggy, Scooby, right? Yep. I think most people and it's you know, it's kind of a probably a played out narrative by now, were Fred and Daphne an item? I think that's fair to say. So then, were Velma and Shaggy an item, or are they siblings? It's a great question. Scooby is clearly Shaggy's dog, right? Yeah, yeah. And and Shaggy, voiced by Casey Kasem.
2: Right. I think. Uh, I think now in adulthood, Velma and Shaggy weren't a pair, but they may have enjoyed doing some things <laughs> together. Okay. Th- and that doesn't necessarily mean on the dial. Are, are, are you yeah. saying no, no? Wait a minute. Are you, hold on.
1: Are I, you saying Shaggy and Velma um, were fans of Puff the Magic Dragon, or <laughs> they were friends with benefits? Which one are you going
2: with? Here? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's different than what Fred and Daphne were.
1: So Fre- Fred and Daphne were a romantic couple, in your opinion. That's correct.
2: And I think now is that just because of bias? Because they're both good-looking people. That could be. But I mean, well, also Fred always did split up split up the group, right? He's like. Daphne, you're coming with me. So, I mean, it's pretty clear in the Haunted Mansions what they were doing. Okay. But also, no, I think if if Velma and Shaggy were in the mystery machine together and they let down the window, you might see.
1: So you're saying that it looked like Spicoli on the first day of school. And by the way, I am absolutely thrilled because when I was in Milwaukee at the Pabst Brewery, they sold, and I'll have to wear it. Maybe I'll wear it tomorrow. They sold the Colt 45 t-shirts that are the ones that Spicoli's wearing when he walks into the Mighty Mart at the end of Fast Times. And I could not be more excited to own it. Could not be more excited to own it. When he comes down and he goes, awesome, totally awesome. All right, Hamilton. Eddie, also, uh, earlier in the program, we had mentioned that you got into the debate about the Spreckers root beer and its availability in the bottles. Brendan and I both said we thought maybe you were wrong.
3: I corrected myself. It's the orange soda. That's oh, what she gets. She doesn't get the root beer. It's the orange soda.
1: Then you're correct. Okay, because Jeremy pointed out Meyer, Menards, Walmart all sell Spreckers root beer in the bottles. <laughs> yeah. I was, when Menards is selling yeah. in the bottle, Men-
2: right? <laughs> That's the most random thing in the world. Menards has the biggest candy and pop section. Does it really? Yeah.
1: What do you like? Go in for a two by four and get a hankering for some root yeah, beer? Is so, that how it works?
2: Uh, there was a Menards across the street from fo- one of the visiting hotels in the Midwest League, and I was just killing time before a bus. I said, oh, yeah, I'll walk in the Menards. Here I am buying Sprecker. Really? Yeah. Now, I'm not exactly what one would call handy.
1: So, when it comes to Menards, I know Menards for one thing and that is that it is the the best paint scheme for an Indy car because it made it so easy when when Pagano was driving the Menards car, the easiest way for me in turn 3 when I'm calling the 500 is I would look at what place Pagano's in.
3: Okay, is that highlighter yellow or is that green?
1: Okay. I have called it repeatedly on the air. We used to have this debate, Eddie, of it highlighter green or highlighter yellow. And I finally decided that what we were going to call, what I started calling it, was a combination of highlighter and tennis ball green. That's is what, real, I, is yeah. what I would call it. That's but, pretty good. But it was such a, that and the DHL car, which is now Alex Pelot, by the way. DHL is now going to be Alex Pillow, had formerly been with Andretti Autosport— Sport with each restart or at different periods when there's a lapse in the race when I'm up there in turn three, I, I jot down on a flip note the top ten and I always would would highlight, quite frankly, or, or put a check next to the DHL car and the Menards car. So that way when they're coming at me, if I see a car pop out of line and I know that like say that Pagino's in eighth place and I see a car pop out and I'm like, okay, that's three spots in front of the, the, the Menards car, so that's fifth. Whoever that is is running in fifth, and then I and then when it comes into view, I can look at it and go, Alex Pillow, who's running in fifth, making a move. That's the battle for fourth because I know I use the DHL and the Menards car as my barometer.
2: I currently have a uh, have a package on delayed from DHL. Could you please ask Pillow to deliver it for me?
1: Uh, I'll tell you what I had mentioned the other day with uh, I won't say the name of it, but the the uh, mail ordering device that's named after a huge river. I. I got a delay the other day. I ordered on November 30th, and it ended up getting delayed until November 19th through the 29th, estimated. So I ended up just buying it from a very large retail chain out of Arkansas, and it arrived the next day, strangely enough. So there you go. Zach Kiefer going to join us next. The two o'clock...
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The hour
1: is underway. My name is Jake Query Brennan King in for Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison flying the controls for us here today on query & Company, ninety three five one zero seven five. The Fan. Thank you for being a part of it. That includes our next guest, who has been a longtime radio friend, friend in general, but one of the most talented writers from central Indiana, of course, wrote for years for The Star before moving to The Athletic and covering the Colts, now a all-encompassing writer for The Athletic. Zach Kiefer joins us. And, Zach, before we get to the core reasoning for the conversation today, I will begin with this because I know you are now a traveling man. Are you in Indy or are you on assignment elsewhere?
5: I'm in Indy, Jake, so I've been been all over the world, including Germany, earlier this season, but good to be back home for the holidays in Indy right now.
1: Okay, let's get to your latest piece and the reason that we are having you on. I, I personally think, aside from this exact moment of the two of us sharing the airwaves, what you wrote about is probably the greatest moment in the history of Sports Talk Radio in Indianapolis, right? Or certainly the most notorious or most infamous Uh, take me through your latest project yeah it's gotta
6: be
5: right jake um no to be clear i wrote this about a year ago but it just got pulled up you know yesterday because it was the anniversary right this has got to be the most infamous moment in sports radio history in this city and i know you are probably better equipped to answer that jmv but we have an NFL general manager in Bill Polian. this is December of 2001, screaming at a comedian in Jay Moore, who at this point was known for being a stand-up comic and the guy in Jerry Maguire, about the knee of the Indianapolis Colts star running back Edron James. I mean, this kind of thing just wouldn't happen today. It couldn't happen today. But if it did, it would probably break the internet. And I would encourage anybody out there who doesn't believe me to listen to the audio. I have the entire audio of this interaction in the story. Now, I have it all transcribed. You can read it, but reading it does not do it justice. It is a surreal moment. And I was able to catch up with Mark Patrick, who was the host of this show. Now, he didn't do a whole lot of talking because he wasn't able to, because the two, Jay Moore and Bill Pullen, were screaming at each other but, um, an absolutely surreal moment, and I had heard, you know, I heard rumors about it, I had heard a little bit about it from Mike Chappell, who was obviously covering the team then and still is now. But to hear it auto, audio wise is just it's, it's just absolutely stunning. You just don't see or hear this type of thing anymore.:
1: I think, and so let me give the backdrop here, Zach, for people that, that may not yeah. have been around then or, or were not actively following the Colts, you know whatever it may be. But in 2001, in a game in, I believe, Arrowhead Stadium, Edron James suffered a knee injury. He had been the league's leading rusher for what, Zach, his first two years in the league, and this was year three? I think that's right. Correct. Um, and so, and of course, Dominic Rhodes came in as an undrafted free agent and finished the season with 1,000 yards, but the Colts went sub-500. So it was it was kind of this dicey time in general for the Colts. But yeah. you – so Edron James – had the knee injury, and they were figuring out the process, not unlike with Jonathan Taylor or other players today, of how they were going to handle surgery, the timing, et cetera. And Jay Moore, who called himself the Slam Man, was kind of a recurring character on the Jim Rome show, and he went on Jim Rome's show and said that the Colts had made Edron James practice with the knee injury which moved it from like a knee sprain to a to more complicating the injury, and Bill Polian took exception to that and called Mark Patrick's show, in which point Patrick then set up Or John because JMB was the producer for Mark Patrick on Sports on WNDE at that time, and set up for Polian and Jay Moore to come on together for a quote unquote <laughs> discussion and. I think Jay Moore kind of took it that way, as like he was going to have this discussion, and I'll give Jay Moore credit; he didn't really back down to it. Um, but Pullian was less interested in having a discussion and more interested in having a lecture. Fair to say?
5: Man, I can't even talk about this without laughing. It's the like, best. I just I just read the story again, and I listened to it, and no, that's that's fair. I mean, so they had basically been trading barbs because. Initially, it was a knee sprain, and then Edgerin was questionable for the following week's game. They didn't play, and they tried to practice him, and it didn't work out, and he was you know, kind of like in this limbo state of like not on IR. His season wasn't over, but he wasn't able to practice. And then the Colts played in Miami, and Edgerin wasn't there, wasn't on the sideline. And, and I get it, he's injured, but it's his hometown, and you kind of thought that he would be playing. And that's when Jay Moore's statement kind of made the rounds from Jim Rome's show that like, Edgerin's pissed off at the Colts. He doesn't like Ursay. They made him practice when he was hurt, and he shredded two more ligaments. So that's when the rumbling started to spread about his displeasure with the Colts. Now, none of that was true, and Ursay, or excuse me, Polian, was irate. And people that know, that worked for the Colts at that time, this was not unusual. Bill Polian would get heated. I mean, heated. And I have heard stories, Jake, I'm sure you've heard this is probably the most public instance. And so Pauline was very upset about all this. I understand that. The Colts' reputation was on the line, right? They're making their star running back practice when he's hurt, right? Like, I get Pauline's anger, but it's set up for this surreal moment that we just don't don't get this kind of theater anymore because, you know, GMs don't go on radio shows and get into arguments with comedians. Like, what happened? But um, Jay Moore couldn't even get a word in. Like, he couldn't even get a word in when he finally did get on the air with Pauline but the famous line he did get in was you sir are a madman
1: <laughs> was, you sir are a madman no one no wonder your or, your franchise is in total disarray i believe that was the other part of the equation right
5: right and, and and this was the one bad year the Colts had like after they got going right so they won 13 games his first year and they made the playoffs the next year and then he got hurt, and they weren't the same team, and they went 6-10 and 10 in 2001. Now, that was the last losing season they had with Peyton until, God, the neck, you know, in 2011. But, no, they were in a, in a very difficult season. They were struggling. They got beat like 40-6 to six in Miami that night. So things weren't good at in Indianapolis, and this did not help.
7: Zach, let me
1: tell you something. And I think most people know what we're talking about by now, but the best part of the whole thing, and there are several parts of it that are fabulous, and everybody's got to go – to the Athletic and see Zach's article just to listen to it, even if you've heard it. A th- it's it's literally, if you've heard it a thousand times, you got to make it a thousand and one. But yeah. I thought the best part of it was this. Okay, so hear me out, Zach. So at the beginning of it, Patrick gives the floor to Pullion. And Pullian has the radio transcript of Jay Moore's allegation that he had said to Jim Rome. So Pullian goes, let me read for you what was said on the radio program. Hey, Romy, dude. And then then he stops, Zach and says, I'm quoting here. Like like as if there was question that he might that, that, no, I thought Bill Pullion would say that. You know what I mean? But he, he's trying to be a lawyer. Like he's trying to be simple and totally. it just evolves like within like two minutes. Totally. And he now let me ask you this, Zach. Do you think and I don't know the answer to this and and if this was mentioned in your piece, because you'd mentioned it was like a year ago, I, and I apologize if I don't recall. Did Jay Moore and Bill Pullian ever discuss that? Did they ever, like, did the two of them ever, like, have a truce or mend fences at all? Or or even cross paths? What do you think, Jake?
5: Like, let's be honest here. Like, did Bill Polian forgive and forget? No. Um, I got Bill Polian on the phone for this, and I asked him, and he said, I stand by everything I said."
2: <laughs> I said, okay, okay. <laughs>
5: I'm going to quote you on that.
1: And you don't I have a you. shred he's of
2: evidence.
5: He's, he's de- yeah, exactly. He's defending his team. He's defending his doctors. I get that. It wasn't the most professional way of doing that. I get it. But here's the funny thing. So, like, this story comes out, and then, like, you know, someone tags Jay Moore on Twitter, and I, I didn't do it, but somebody tagged him. Like, this is an amazing moment. Seven or eight months later, I get a tweet from Jay Moore, and he's like, everything I said was true. So, like, this is 2021, 2022, so, like, I don't know what Jay Moore is up to these days, but, like, he still stands on what he said. Now, the facts are, and I, have you know, talked to Edron about this, the facts are, no, he, he, like, Jay Moore got the agent wrong, he got the diagnosis wrong, there were certainly things that he got wrong, but he's, like, doubling down on the fact that, like, what he heard, the Colts making Edron practice before he was hurt, like, this is crazy. Like 20 years later, both of them are standing on what they said in this crazy radio interview, and they're not backing down at all.
1: Well, you know, Zach, part of the, to be fair, I guess vindication for Bill Pullian would be the fact that it would be, you would be, and I think this is fair to point out, you would be hard-pressed to find any player of the Edrin James era that has a greater post-playing career relationship with the franchise of the Indianapolis Colts and the brass of the Indianapolis Colts than Edron James.
5: Yeah. Starts with the owner. He's very, very close. A- and Ursa. that's, if, if you Ursa recall, Jay Moore. Times, he's my best friend. Yeah, like, and Jay Moore
1: says man. in the interview, Edron James is not a fan of Ursay. Clearly, that was, that was off base.
5: Yeah, Adrian James went in the Hall of Fame a couple years ago, and who did he choose to present him at his induction? I mean, he could have picked a college coach, could have picked Tony Dungy, could have picked a teammate. He, He chose Jim Mercy. Now, that says something. I think Jay Moore heard something on a sideline or in a locker room or in a conversation with somebody, and he ran with it. And the sad thing is, in journalism these days, we don't know the difference between journalism and just complete Fabrication, yeah, and commentary, or, right? And and that's the reality. And and I think Polian just snapped. But it is a it is an unbelievable moment. I heard that the sports writers covering the Colts at that time were all listening to the radio live. Like obviously, you have to pay attention to what's going on. But the more it devolved, they were just having. I mean, they were just cracking up at the Colts facility, listening to this. It had to just be a surreal moment. I would love to hear from people who listened to this live because you expect it to get a little tense, but to get off the rails like this, it was a pretty historic moment for radio.
1: Hey, Romy dude, I'm quoting here. And then quote unquote, I mean, there were so many parts of it and poor Mark and John both. I mean, we're just, I I say poor, you know, You it had to be a dichotomy for both those guys because part of you is like oh my gosh this is absolute radio gold and then the other part is holy cow like our radio station is burning around us right I mean it was just it was that surreal but you know Zach I'll tell you something interesting Polian to me I I thought Polian's teams were hard to cover I thought he was difficult Um, he was stubborn a lot. It's, it's disingenuous for me to say that I was on the front lines like you have been, for example, as a daily beat writer. I was not that. I was a general sports assignment reporter for Channel 6 at the time. So it was just one of many things that I had to cover. But I remember one time I ran a story where I ran a soundbite from Reggie Miller talking about Mike Vanderjat, and Reggie Miller laughed and called him the idiot kicker, which was, of course, quoting Peyton Manning. Exactly. And, and the next day when I woke up, shockingly, at like noon – I had like four voicemails from the general manager of the television station at Channel Six, Don Lundy, who's no longer with us, unfortunately. But and Don Lundy's like, you got to come into the office immediately. And I came in, and they said, Bill Polian called here and is going to revoke your credential. You're never allowed to cover the Colts again. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Why? And they said, because you ran a soundbite from Reggie Miller in your story, making fun of Mike Vanderjagt. And Polian insisted on a handwritten letter of apology. And also for me to facilitate an apology from Reggie Miller to the Colts franchise and organization. And I'm like, are you kidding? Now, it blew over. None of those things took place and it blew over and whatever. But years later, Zach, when I interviewed Bill Pullion once, I had mentioned that that I probably was too hard on him, but I thought he was difficult. And he actually admitted to the fact that he was way too stubborn at times and way too demanding of people at times. But I think that was talking about people that were around his franchise, and he took exception with Jay Moore because he saw him as like an outside interloper. Does that make sense?
5: Yeah, and isn't that a fascinating window into how he thought back then? Like, without a doubt, one of the greatest personnel men in NFL in, in history. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. He built he built this, whatever you want to call it, this great dynasty run for the Colts. Even though it had one championship, they won seven Seven straight years with 12 wins. He built that team, and it was more than just the quarterback. But I have heard stories over the years that just make you think, why did you care about this stuff so much? Like, your team was winning, and why were the Colts so difficult to cover? I mean, we've all heard the this, this story. You know, he called Bob Kravitz, my former colleague, a rat on the air. Like, that's just, that's just inhumane. Like, that's just unnecessary. And there's a story years ago – at a Colts training camp practice, when they were a Super Bowl contender, national folks were in town to write about Peyton and Marvin, et cetera. And Pullian banned the reporters from taking notes during practice. Like they couldn't have a notepad and a pen to write down like Peyton, you know, hit Marvin for this touchdown. The same thing that every fan in Anderson or Rose Holman, wherever it was, was seen. So Bob joked that he was going to prick his finger and use the blood to take notes because he couldn't use a pen, which I thought was a pretty good line. But the the war with the local media, I just don't understand it. They were, they were a great team to cover with great guys. Peyton, Tony, I don't need to go down the list, great human beings. They represented the city well. Why have such interest and why go to war with the media on such minuscule things? Now look, I covered the team for a long time. I didn't always get along with Chris Ballard. I didn't always get along with Ryan Grigson, but it was always civil and it was always fair. And I feel like Paulian made things personal. And that story you just told was a little snippet into just how petty that man could be. He's admitted to me in recent years that, that he took it over the line sometimes.
1: I mean, Zach, I remember one year. Well, first off, before they had, and this is, look, first world problems here. I mean, we are very fortunate. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic is our guest. We're very fortunate to get access to the team and to be able to cover games and all those things. I totally understand that. Um, and and with that comes some understanding of, of that privilege, of a respect level that comes with it. But I remember, and it wasn't all the time, it was only for like a year or two there, but Polian thought that there was a leak within the franchise of somebody that was giving out information or telling things going on. So when you would go to cover the team, I remember once having to use the bathroom and I'm walking to the men's room near the media center and one of the PR staff is following me. Yep. And I'm like, no, I, I know where the bathroom is. I've been here before. I'm like, well, we have to escort you and and wait for you to make sure that you're not deviating and going down any hallways you're not supposed to. I mean, it was Sounds like KGB level stuff, over. right? And then right. ultimately that, that when they were renovating – they were renovating the media area on West 56, and they put in portalettes in the parking lot, and that was for the media to use. If you had to use the bathroom instead of going into the building, you had to go out in the parking lot in the portalette. And in January, it was like eight degrees outside. And you're like, come on, man, really? But I, I get it. I think that a lot of these guys, Zach, are wired in a way that they – not all. But they have to have control of all areas. Like to be in control of, of the minuscule thing is to be in control of the biggest of things. And there's no separating in their mind. And I get that. And there's there's a method to that madness. I, I think for Polian, what is really interesting, and you tell me if you disagree, Zach Kiefer, but to me with Polian, what is really interesting was as great as he was, and as Hall of Fame level as he was, and as brilliant as he was, The second that there was an inkling or an out for Jim Ursay to exercise to separate from Bill Polian, he exercised it. He really only got one. He never got a a pass the second that they finally had a bad year in the Curtis Painter season. Instead of saying, look, in totality of work, this guy is still really good. Ursay decided at that point to immediately move on. And to me, that has been very telling about just how exhausting at times he could be.
5: Yeah, I think that's all fair. And body of work being what it was, remarkable, right? We've talked about that. Totally, yep. But it it wasn't just Bill Pollian. It was his son, Chris Pollian, who was fired as well. And a little bit of a snippet into that. And this is another remarkable story that Jim Irsay told me a couple years ago. Remember, Peyton was trying to come back that season and play. Now, this sounds ridiculous, but this is Peyton Manning we're talking about. He wanted to play. Colts were out of the playoffs. They were... 1 in 10, whatever. He didn't care. He wanted to play. He wanted to prove this was still his team. So Peyton stages this practice one night at the facility, and it's completely him, right? He goes behind Jim Caldwell's back and he gets like Jeff Saturday and Reggie Wayne and like Dallas Clark to come out to the facility and practice to see if he could play. His plan, and this sounds ridiculous but it's true, was to be the red zone quarterback. Dan Orlovsky was the Colts quarterback at that time late in that season. The plan was for Orlovsky to play in between the 20s, and then when they got to the red zone, if they got to the red zone, Peyton would take over. Now, this seems absurd, and it was never going to happen, but that was Peyton's plan. Bill Polian didn't even know about the plan. So Bill Polian finds out. He's absolutely incensed. He calls Ursay that night, and he threatens to quit, right? I mean, right there on the spot, he's going to quit. Ursay talks him down. Ursay talks to the doctors and says, under no circumstances is Peyton practicing right now with a compromised neck. So things were really, really bad, really, really bad. And I know Mike Chappell and Bob Kravitz, my colleagues, longtime colleagues can can share more about just how bad it was behind the scenes in 2011, but Jim Irsay knew. He knew that last game in Jacksonville when Maurice Jones got that first down to essentially seal the game and, you know, clinch the Colts' top pick in the draft, that being Andrew Luck he knew Bill Polian was going to go. So it just got really bad at the end. It's good that that's a footnote in Bill Polian's career because it was such an unbelievable career, You know, Carolina, Buffalo, Indianapolis. But, boy, things were bad at the end. You're right about
1: that. Zach, somebody just texted me this, and, and I personally think this is minority opinion, but it's an interesting one, so I want to share it. Uh, hey, Jake, I was listening when this whole interview happened between Polian and Moore, and as a Colts fan, I was so proud of Bill. The Colts was getting tons of negative press, plus us Colts fans thought we were going to lose edge. To me, it was a sinister move by Jay, to say the least. I think that's a minority opinion. I think there were a lot of people that were embarrassed by it. What say you? Yeah,
5: yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the overwhelming sentiment I got. There's nothing wrong with Bill and standing up for his team, his doctors, his player, obviously. But the way he handled it, it, it just did not come off well. Now, Jake, you know what you got to do? you got to get Craig Kelly on the air, right? The, the stories Craig Kelly could tell, he was a man. longtime PR man. The stories he could tell, that would break the Internet right now. I don't think he can tell them. That's the sad part. But the stories he could tell from dealing with Ursay and Pauline and even Peyton during those years, man, that, that would be some good stuff. But, look, there's nothing wrong with Pauline getting on and calling out Jay Moore for what he is, right? He's just sharing a rumor he heard that's, you know, 30% true, maybe even less um but the fact that he attacked him and and made it into theater was just I don't think that was a good look I don't think that was a good look
1: you know what I've always found fascinating Zach and I don't know the answer to this and I'm not even trying to be presumptuous and then I want to ask you a couple questions about you know what you got going on outside of the Colts but this always fascinated me why in this market and I don't know the answer I really don't why in this market were we blessed to have two very good general managers, both guys that grew up near one another in suburban New York City on the north end of New York near the Bronx, and Bill Polian and Donnie Walsh. Both of them very good at what they did. Bill Polian brought a Super Bowl. Donnie Walsh brought an Eastern Conference championship to the Pacers. Both were essentially of the same era of one another and are men of essentially the same age. Why did we all have to call Bill Polian, even by our own choice? I don't know that Polian ever mandated it as such, but why did we call Bill Polian Mister Polian and we called Donnie Walsh Donnie? Boy, I think
5: that goes to the personality, right? I mean, Mister polian Mister Polian—is the most repetitive phrase you hear in this crazy radio transcript, right? Is 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 Jay Moore trying to get a word in and say Mister Polian over and over and getting nowhere? I don't know Donnie Walsh as well as you do, but he's always been so incredibly kind to me. When I was covering the Pacers, I would just walk down and sit courtside with him while the players were warming up, and he would just tell me stories of the old days, ABA, Reggie, all that stuff. I don't think that was going to happen with Bill Pullian. Now, I have a good relationship with him now, and every time I need him for a story or a comment, you know, he gets back to me within a couple weeks. But you know, it's usually about one of his players that's going in the Hall of Fame, so it's not like covering him day to day, but... Man, the, the stories that Chap can tell about it. – just the craziest part to me, Jake, is this team was good. They were really good, and they had good guys, and there were hardly any controversies, right? They didn't have guys getting arrested. You know, they had their playoff moments and losses, but that's football, right? I mean, they, the here's the
1: thing, though, Zach. They had them, maybe not to the level of other franchises. They had them, but what the Colts had masterfully done, to your point, is created the perception of a culture. So when Dominic Rhodes or Monte Rager or Nick Harper or or guys like that, you know, or Mustafa Muhammad, when they had legal altercations, it was automatically ingested as the anomaly.
5: Yeah. And, and it's just, it's just fascinating that there was a war with the media. Usually that happens when the franchise is a train wreck correct? and the coach is an idiot and they're lying to us. And right. Like, Heck, I covered more soap opera stuff in, in seven years on the beat than Chap did in the 15 years that Manning was here, et cetera. But, I, I, like, I just don't get that. And, they, like, Poland wouldn't even come out and talk to the media after the Super Bowl loss to the Saints. Like, he just refused. And, it, you know, technically the executive has to go talk. So it's just, it's just a strange situation. But, again, endlessly I'm fascinated. And, and, and they give us some great stories to tell.
1: By the way, Jay Moore is now married to Jeannie Buss. Did you know that, of the Lakers? Goodness, I did not know yeah, that. So just recently from i think.
5: thinking. Bill Jackson to Genie Bus. Wow. To, yeah. to Jay Moore.
1: Yeah. So um Well then he doesn't need to work at all. There you go. <laughs> he's he just he's now suddenly a part owner of the Lakers, right? I mean that's a that's a that's a nice thing. You way know to what would be great into... what would be great is if in the turnabout is fair play category, if something happens with the Lakers and Bill Pullian is able to say to Jay Moore, No wonder your franchise is in complete disarray with you at the helm, Mr. Moore. Which is essentially what, would, what Jay Moore said to Napoleon.
5: What I would pay to see them in a room right now because I don't think either of them have moved on. Now they live different lives, but if you get them talking about this conversation,
1: I don't think either of them are backing down. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Uh, I remember once on radio, probably not my finest moment, calling Bill Polian Bill Napoleon, and it didn't. It did not go over well. That was not well received. But yeah, um, how did he respond to that one? Uh, I think actually he did not i mean he didn't directly but poor craig kelly craig kelly who was as nice a human being as anybody could find who was the longtime chief lieutenant of media and public relations for the colts that came from baltimore and was just a dear-hearted soul and towards the end there i think was just kind of writing out his time and i think that craig kelly knew that bill polian at times was unreasonable not all the time but at times and so I think there might have been a phone call or a hey, cool it, or you know, a slap on the wrist. It it was not a professional move by me, admittedly. And I, you know, in the moment, I said it in the moment. It was when they pulled everybody off the floor or off the field against the Jets, and then probably shouldn't have said it. But uh, Zach Key for the Athletic, our guest Zach. What other things are you working on, and how much do you are you involved with? kind of facilitating coverage for the Colts or, or overseeing it because clearly from a national perspective they are not necessarily the mainline story that they, they have been in years past but you're doing a lot of different assignments so what other things are you working on
5: yeah I got a good trivia question for you right now uh, based on the story I just filed who is the oldest player in
1: the league right now that's what I just wrote about any idea Oldest player in the National Football League um, is no it a, longer? Tom Brady is it a marquee player? Is my question for you?
5: Uh, offensive lineman. It, it's a name you've heard, but it's probably not something that comes to the top of the mind.
1: In the case of a lineman, I'm just going to go ahead and punt. Pardon the pun, because I would have guessed probably a kicker or a special teams player. But hit me with. Do you have a guess, Brennan?
2: You know, I was going to say Mercedes Lewis. Okay, but Eddie, you got a guess? I, I, you know, now that you say it, offensive lineman. But
1: Eddie, you got a guess? <laughs> no. Go ahead, Zach.
5: Jason Peters. Oh, wow. Who's in his 20th year. Like, (sighs) I I thought he'd retired. And I found out that he was still playing. And he's on his fourth team in four years. He plays for the Seahawks. He's 41. And he's playing pretty well. He did as well as you can imagine against Miles Garrett a couple weeks ago. So, the story's kind of crazy. Like, he started in the league as a tight end. He was way too big to be a tight end. you know, a lot of people thought. And this is what teams told him at the Combine you're one hamburger away from being out of the league. So it's remarkable that he lasted in the league, let alone lasted for 20 years. So that's kind of the story I'm working on now. I've got some more in the works. But basically, Jake, what I do is I go find the most interesting stories out there. That's what I try to do. Um, It doesn't matter what team. It doesn't matter what city. Um, That's the great thing about the NFL is there are tons of characters. There's tons of stories to dig into. So not a lot of Colts as of right now, but I've got some coming as we get towards January.
1: When you were in Germany, were you there for the Colts game? Obviously, it was in Frankfurt, right? You were there yeah. the week before the Colts, right? Was it Dolphins, Chiefs?
5: Yes, it was Dolphins, Chiefs. I was essentially writing about the Dolphins that week, Tyreek Hill playing against his former team.
1: Okay. if I always ask this to people that, that travel to places outside of the United States, Zach, if you were – To take somebody like myself, I've never been to Germany, okay? If you were to blindfold me, put me on an airplane, give me an ambience so I have zero idea how long I'm on the plane, get me out of the airplane, put me in a car, drive me out to the suburbs right outside of Frankfurt where I can't see signs that say what city I'm in. If I were to look around and look at the topography around me and the vegetation and etc., assuming I thought I was in the United States... Instead of Frankfurt or outside Frankfurt, Germany, I would think that I was where in the U.S.? Pittsburgh. Okay.
5: That's just, that's just the first city that came to mind. I've only been to Pittsburgh five or six times. It's always for a Colts game. It's always for a Colts loss. And I'm sure you guys will get into that when they play the Steelers. Like, how many times the Steelers have beaten the Colts in a row? It's, it's kind of wild. But um, cool city. Um, kind of you know, hilly? Is about- it like
1: hilly around it?
5: Yeah, it's hilly. I mean, there's not a big yellow bridge, obviously, right. but um, it was great. Everyone was super, super nice. Everyone spoke English. Almost everyone did, which made it easy. The stadium experience was very wild, like cigarette smoke everywhere. Now, there, you know how in the, in the U.S. it's like you can only buy beer through three quarters and they shut it off. That was not the case here. The German fans were loving it. A very, very distinct Yeah, yeah.
1: in Germany, you can deal. only buy three quarts. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, they had, they had no problem drinking all the beer the stadium had. That day. It, was,
5: <laughs> it was fun to see.
1: Uh, all right, Zach Kiefer from The Athletic. And again, the audio is embedded within the story on the look back of Jay Moore and Bill Pullion, correct?
5: Yes, the whole 16 or 17 minutes. The best radio, no offense to your show. No offense to anyone's show. The best radio you'll hear today. It's unbelievable. No,
1: there's no doubt about it. It is the most surreal moment in Indianapolis radio history. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the most surreal television moment, totally different animal, would have been Tony Koritzis. And then some of the phone calls that were made to Fred Heckman at WIBC from a news standpoint would be in a real-life implication standpoint would be the most bizarre. But from a sports standpoint, nothing competes, no doubt about it. Zach, always a pleasure, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. Yeah, covering Polian, man. I'm telling you guys, it was... Um, I have the utmost respect for Polian. You know, I kind of get it. And as I've gotten older, I get it more. Just the... I have always felt... When you do what we do for a living, we have a great privilege and a great, like, trust placed upon us. Um... But I've had more of an epiphany as I've gotten older about the fact that like with social media, Twitter, people that critique us, critique me, talk about they don't like the show. They don't like this opinion or they don't like the way that I do things or whatever else. Um, It is absolutely imperative for me to be able to listen to and absorb and take all of that criticism fairly. Because in reality, my job for three hours is to a large part to analyze or critique the jobs of other people. So it's only fair that I'm able to take that on myself doesn't mean it's always easy. And in Pullian's case, I think that the one thing that was hard for him was hearing that critique. And I kind of get it because he's saying to himself, look, do, do you pretend to know what I do? Do you and you think that everything's just like signing a guy to a contract and leaving him play? There's a lot more that goes into it. And I understand the the preservation or the protection of all that goes into it. And I think it all boiled over in that moment, and it was absolutely fabulous. A couple of big ones in college basketball. Well, really big one in college basketball. It's gonna be a huge. It's gonna be a huge Saturday weekend of sports action here because you got the Colts and Steelers taking place at Lucas Oil, and then literally at the exact same time, Purdue and number one Arizona over at the Fieldhouse, which is, you know, Arizona is. I haven't seen a lot of Arizona, admittedly, but it feels like Purdue's kind of gone through the gauntlet in terms of some of the teams that they've already played and beaten, obviously, but and then, of course, the loss to Northwestern, and Arizona will be a really good test. Indiana taking on Kansas, which is a really big one. Um, I've seen more of Kansas than I have Arizona. Brendan, have you seen much of Arizona? Obviously, they're very, very good.
2: I've not seen a lot of them, but, I mean, I think Tommy Lloyd's um recruiting perspective speaks for itself with every year being out being able to get out and get these players I mean that guy has proven in a short time to be one of the best recruiters in the country yeah
1: well it's interesting because you've got two teams you know you remember a couple of years ago j- just before the Nil like the whole adidas scandal and the Nike shoe scandals and the FBI investigation and the you know two of the epicenter programs and all of that are Kansas and Arizona yeah, no. and it's like, oh wow, you know they're they're going down. You know, come on.
2: Well, Sean Miller, he just went back to Xavier. Right, nothing happened.
1: Right, honestly, yeah. yeah. And then Arizona just kind of picked up, obviously, in in maintaining, probably even elevating their, their level of play. Indiana, to me, is really interesting because I, I think we knew, and I think Mike Woodson is a. He's a good coach, don't get me wrong. But I think that Indiana fans even, and I'm curious what Indiana fans think of this. Okay, I'm going to give a, a an observation about Indiana basketball. And I want Indiana fans to tell me if they agree or disagree. And you can tweet me, you can obviously text me. I think most people have my number by now, but it's 523 9288. I do enjoy reading people's texts. It's a 317 area code, obviously. 523 9288. And I don't want to sound, I don't want this to come off as overly negative, but it's the first time that I felt like this introduction of precaution. When Indiana had the coaching search that led to Mike Woodson, I think there was a lot of skepticism when Woodson was hired of like, wait a minute, could they not have gone out like Arizona did in going to Gonzaga and getting somebody or like other schools have done of, you know, bringing somebody along that either was within the program and younger or utilizing the name and the brand. If we're going to brand ourselves in Indiana as an elite program, then then let's take advantage of that brand and go out and put a, a full page ad on you know, LinkedIn that just says marquee program, head coaching search, send your application. And I think there were a lot of people that felt like they didn't do that because they just kind of went with the safe hire in Mike Woodson. And then as time went on, I think people thought, wait a minute. He is a guy that we are handing the keys to somebody that has lived in the house before and is a connection to the things that for which were the most nostalgic. And he has a connection to the NBA and, People that can get good players to Bloomington. And so I think people were like, you know what? This does work. He's a really good transitional guy until we find who the next 25-year coach is going to be. Because I think people knew that Woodson was not going to be the 25-year coach. And, but yet Mike Woodson is interesting because he's a little bit different than Quinn Buckner. He's a little bit different than Steve Alford. He's a little bit different than Calvert Cheney. And by that I mean, from the time that he left Indiana, partially because of the the years of it, but he left, and then he just wasn't really around Indiana. So I don't know that Indiana fans feel like they know Mike Woodson as intimately as they know those others that I just mentioned. And yes, he was a great player, but he also was a player during a four year period between championship teams. And it's like I know he's a great player that went to the NBA, but like he just he kind of left, and then he wasn't one that was around a lot, and wasn't the warm and fuzzy. So my question becomes this, as they have assembled a roster with good players, but yet they're good players that are still seemingly learning to mesh with one another, and Mike Woodson's patented answer in post-game press conferences seems to be, I just got to get the guys to play harder. I just got to get them to respond. And are there Indiana fans – and I'm not saying that they should be this way. I'm not trying to be suggestive. I'm genuinely curious. Are there Indiana fans that are starting to question whether or not the, the in-game adjustment has the aptitude that they were hoping for at this point? Or do they feel like this is somebody that is able to go out and get really good groceries at the grocery store but still can't figure out how to put it together into a really high-quality meal? Because Khalil Weir is a very good player. And Malik Renu is, I, I think, developing into a really nice player, and he has developed players. He developed Jalen Shafito to a fine level. Trace Jackson Davis probably developed as well and grew under Mike Woodson. But does it give are, are Indiana fans as confident about the trajectory and the placement of the program as they were when the hire was first made, or or once you know after the first year or so there, or do they feel like they're kind of back to square one? And I don't, Brendan, I don't want that to come off as me being questionable or indicting on the program, but it feels to me a little bit like they're not in neutral, but like just the cruise controls at 55
2: miles an hour. Does that make sense? It does. And I think Woodson's doing a fine job, but you know what I was just thinking about while you were talking about that, Jake? In today's world of NIL, maybe... The one and because college basketball, when Coach K and Cal and Roy Williams were at their peak, right, was the one and done. Players were going to those big time programs to get to the NBA. And now with NIL coming about, right. you see you see these guys going to different other other different schools based off what people can pay. Correct, correct. I wonder what Woodson at IU would have been like before NIL, when college basketball was totally about that one and done. Because if Woodson was competing with Coach K and Cal and Roy Williams and, you know, whatever marquee program you want to think about, who would have gotten because his reputation well, preceded him to get kids to the NBA? But Brendan,
1: the, the thing is that at that point, the thing that was a challenge is people loved Mike Woodson because he represented the Bob Knight era, but the Bob Knight era was we get kids here that that come to Indiana because they want to be a part of something and give up their individuality for the better team goal and not worry about like the glory of the name on the back of the jersey and only the name on the front and whatever else. And yet to to do that now in today's era, you have to compromise a little bit and sell your soul. And and I, so I think that in the, even if there was non-NIL factor, you know, now it's a little bit more transparent, but I think it would have been, people would have felt a little bit uncomfortable with it because it's like, wait a minute, which way are we leaning here? Matt joins us to talk about it. Matt, what's up?
6: Hey, not much. Got the Christmas lights done. You got to come
1: by sometime. <laughs> That's in Speedway, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, I, I see it on radar from like a mile away.
6: <laughs> you can see it when you're flying over the track, coming through the airport. Um, I So I'm a Boilermaker. I'll just say that up front. Um, I think IU is fine with their coach and their coaching staff. I think, and I think the fans want kind of, And I hate to say this because I'll get killed for it. I think they want the kind of players Purdue has. The guys who go to Purdue go to Purdue to go to Purdue. Currently, IU has gotten in this stretch for the last 10 or 12 years. They don't recruit guys who want to play four years for Indiana. I think Grace Thompson probably did. I think uh, TJD did. Um, But, I mean, so many of these guys are in and out in two years. Uh, Their transfers, you know, they come in in their third or fourth year. They're not recruiting guys who want to play basketball for Indiana. They're recruiting guys who, you know, want to go to the NBA. And that's great. I mean, Purdue had that with Ivy, but you can't build a program on that. There's no consistency. You're rebuilding year in and year out. And there's no, uh, you kind of hit on it. There's no sacrifice for the name on the front of the jersey as opposed to the one on the back.
1: Matt, I appreciate it. I'll come by and check out the lights. We're up against right up. it, which is the only reason why, because uh, I want to squeeze in John real quick yeah. as well. Right uh, so I appreciate it, Matt. But let's let's check in with John. I think we just lost John, actually. Right. Uh, speaking of John, JMV is going to be up next. We'll try to flush this out, and we might carry this into tomorrow too, because it, it is a good topic. I think it's interesting um, in terms of the college basketball discussion. JMV about to walk in. We'll make that transition. We'll talk IU as well a little bit here on the other side couple minutes left. I have.
0: Whether it's audio books or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: I feeling we'll continue this conversation tomorrow, but John wanted to join in
7: talking about IU basketball as well. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, your comment about uh, developing players, I've always felt, that's difficult to determine if someone gets better. How much is it really just that they're playing more and getting older, and that's the natural progression of things, versus how much is really attributable to the coach? I mean, I look at a guy like Jeff Newton back in the day. I felt that was a guy that, yes, he played all four years, and I think you're going to get better usually the more you play. But I, I, I felt with him there was some coach, I don't know if it was Davis or Knight, who told him how to play better. Where were his spots and how to get better? Um, So that's one thing. The other thing with Woodson is, I didn't go to IU. I like IU. Um, And I'll be honest with you, I haven't seen one minute of their team this year. Having said that, uh, I don't know that he seems so laid back to me and so lacking in fire. I'm not saying you have to be fire and brimstone. No, I hear you. But the way the way he comports himself, he's so relaxed, or I don't know if relaxed is the correct word, but in any case, it just doesn't engender any fire at all. As a person who would like to watch the team, it's so opposite Bob Knight that um, I don't know what to make of it.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. John, it's really good points, and I, I I understand what you're saying in terms of almost the rhetorical question of, like, how do we know how much of the the development is through coaching or inspiration or just natural evolution of the body, right? I mean, some guys, their body just changes, They you know, any number of things that can happen. I mean, to that point, you know, I know, for example, like, when I grew up in, I grew up in Bob Knights, Indiana, and so I grew up literally getting in like shouting arguments with people about that, you know, that they just didn't understand Coach Knight and the fact that he made men out of boys. And, you know, when guys went there and when they left, they became grown men that had held good jobs and never got divorced and, you know, whatever else. Right. And then, then it dawned on me, you know, the vast majority of people are jackasses when they're 18. And by the time they're 23, they're less jackass. Right. I mean, like that's, that's called like natural maturity. And I don't know that you need to necessarily have a guy that's making you run the stairs at 5.30 in the morning in order to, to have that evolution take place. I mean, I was a more mature person at 23 than I was at 19. For me, it wasn't really until I was probably 28 where it all came together, and maybe that would have been accelerated by a hard coach. You know, I don't know. So to that point, I, I think there's an element of truth of what you're saying of maybe we never know how much of a player development is coach versus – You know, just natural physical evolution. But I do think that putting players that you see as having NBA potential and promising them and delivering for them the possibility of evolving their game into an NBA level game, you know, I think that Hood Shafino, the way that Indiana played, the way that the, the moments and the tendencies where they put the ball in his hands and the style that they played probably did favor towards glimpse of the nba and he did become a better you know jalen hood sheffino was not a great shooter um but he had great body size and great balance of body with his the the size that he had and i think that over the course whether it was jalen hood sheffino working out on his own from you know vhs tapes he bought at a garage sale i'm being facetious but or whether it was mike woodson i don't know but the reality is that he was able to later in the year at indiana probably the pinnacle being that game in West Lafayette, he was able to stop and use his body size and control and balance in the mid-range to start hitting jumpers and get separation from players, which is what and where his operating areas are going to be at the professional level. And that was a lot, he was allowed to do that in Indiana to then showcase that, in fact, yes, he is a guy that can do that at the professional level. And Woodson would be the guy, because he's the coach, that is credited with facilitating those opportunities. And I think that's the same could be said for Trace Jackson Davis in the way that, in the preseason, he was able to show with Golden State what he was going to do. There were times that it, at Indiana where he was able, he was put in position to show that he was in fact more than just a shot block player down on the low block. Uh, Eddie, I'm going to rely on you again because I can't see with the the clock. What did John call that the other day? Like the it was like an old fashioned clock over there. So are we a minute over or a minute under?
3: We have a minute and a ten seconds. Now,
1: Brennan, can you tell on the old fashioned clock up there whether that says fifty six ten or fifty seven ten?
2: Yeah, actually so funny enough, obviously this studio for a long time was Bob Lovell's studio for Indiana Sports Talk and doing scoreboard updates in here. I have relied on that clock for six years to tell me where so I was you've during gotten my used update. to it,
1: right? Yeah. I don't know why, like for okay, I can kind of see now, but like this the 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 minute hand. I, I know how to read time manually. I, you know that was how we had to do it in school when I was a kid. So I, I I kept many a close eye on those clocks for a very very long time. So Eddie, you are gone tomorrow. Is that correct? Yep, just taking the day off. Yeah, you're just taking the day off. Just, yeah, the three day work week just wearing you down. <laughs> sure. Why would you not take it on a Friday?
3: Uh, I didn't want to take it off on the day the Pacers played. So I'd want the three day weekend, right? Well, it's not really a three day weekend, if I have to work Friday night. Well, if you take
1: the day off, you take the whole thing off, right? So Carl's showbiz is in tomorrow, right? Yeah, and you're going to go out looking for sprecher in the bottle. Go to yeah. Nard's. Yeah. John's up next.